If you will suck my soul, I will lick your funky emotions. This is the styling for a title that sounds silly, but nothing silly but the trifling times of Millie. Millie of Brooklyn Queen, originally from Philly. Complete with that accent that makes Yeah, that's the triangle of desire. Where this little, like between her two upper lip flaps and her little bottom lip. Yeah. It just creates this little triangle. <laughs> I guess she does have a little bit of a monster so mouth. Yeah, there's this little dark triangular gap just formed by her lips that looks like this. And she just sits there going, we are, of course, talking about uh, Dylan's mother. It's the saddest thing. <laughs> well, you were recording She's kind of mutated. <laughs> no, we're talking about Dylan's dog, uh, Josie. Yeah. Yeah. She's, She's a, what, a French bulldog? She is a French bulldog. She's like a little drooling, snorting pot roast. It's the funniest fucking thing. We call her the bat pig. Yeah. No, she has, because, oh, she has like, she got little bat ears. Yep. But she's kind of like a little slightly pig-shaped. Yeah. Which is like the size of a large football. Yeah, she looks like a roast ham. Oh, man. You sure you don't want any rum? I am 1,000% this sure. This is rum donated by listener Sean uh, Baker, who was here visiting in town. He stopped by the uh, Boy Howdy offices this week. Uh, rum's actually pretty good. Well, this is like heavily spiced rum. It's crack-in black spiced rum. He drank half of it, but he left the rest of it here. That's so sweet. And that's actually not that bad. Like, it's really... It burns? I don't drink that much, but it's like... Mm. Is, is rum and coke, is that a thing? Is that a drink? Because yes, I have both. That, I'm not going to mix them directly, but at least is, I can chase each other down. That is a drink, yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is the Boy Howdy Podcast for Saturday, September 8th, 2012. Uh, Annie Maloney no, is... the 7th. Well, tomorrow's the 8th. Oh. Saturday, because this is probably... Well, We're, I guess this is going out technically Friday. We're recording early right. on a Friday. We're speaking from the future. Annie is at a gay wedding. Aww. I don't know if it's explicitly state that... Any, the fact that anyone gay getting married is, is a good thing. Uh, at a gay wedding up in Vancouver? She's... Uh, BC, we should clarify. Vancouver, BC. Uh, you live in the friends, land of many Vancouvers. Friends of the podcast, Emily... Carol. Carol and Kate Cray. <laughs> I think about that. You can get gay married in Canada, right? Yes. So they have they have legally binding marriage. Yes. Yeah, which you can't get here in Portland, Oregon. Uh, in a couple days will be the first anniversary of Dylan, uh, her uh marriage to her lady Kate. Mm-hmm. Katie. Yep. Everyone's gay. Man, Katie's hot. Gay ladies named Katie. That's the way to go. Yeah. You think yeah. so? Yeah. You can find one for yourself. That's what, you, that's what you did. That's what Emily did. It's true. It worked out well for yeah, both of us. Yeah, what's up with dark-haired, brown-eyed lesbians getting hooked up with girls named Katie? I it's a could, thing. I really couldn't say. It's going around. It's a virus around here. I'm just, yeah, I'm just a statistic here, Bill. So, Annie, or, or uh, Dylan's just biding her time until she can get, well, she can sign off papers, get, like, whatever, quote-unquote, real married here in Portland, Oregon, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully that'll, that'll be before the end of the next uh, Obama administration. We can only yes. we can only hope. So you did not watch any of the uh, stuff this week. The Democratic National Convention. Oh, before we even talk, start talking about. We, I should let you introduce yourself. Oh, I'm a terrible host. I gotta have some of this wine, uh, some of this uh, rum. What is this shit? It's rum. Is it rum? It's rum. Introduce yourself, Dylan McConus. My name is Dylan McConus. If you've listened to this podcast before, you've probably had to withstand my opinions about Star Trek and Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Yeah, I think. Have you only been here under the pretenses of a Doctor Who? Or Star Trek podcast? I believe so. 
Never just sat in a normal episode. Never, never just here for my own sake. <sighs> this is going to be a short podcast because actually not that much happened this week. Whatever happened in our own personal lives and then there wasn't that much geek news this week. It was pretty quiet except for like sexual harassment shit in the geek world. Well, it happens all the time. Pa- PAX happened last God weekend. Damn rum. Woo! I don't know if that's like you're particularly not, strong. You're or... not supposed to drink it straight, Bill. No? No. What? Why not? What's it, special about it? You're supposed to mix it with things like Coke. It feels good, though. It feels you like grown-up juice. You are not, Bill. You're not a pirate. No. I can see how this would keep you uh, warm in the high seas. Yeah, no, Sean Baker, he was very cool. He, yeah, he was in town. He uh, came up to visit PAX. Yeah. And on the way down, uh, well, I guess after PAX, uh, Sean Baker, he's from Australia, and he traveled up to PAX. And on the way, uh, he's going to spend the next month in America just bumming around. He's going to go, like, all over, like, out in, like, Utah and shit. And then he's going to come back up to San Francisco and maybe hang out with some more gaming industry peeps up there. And so, yeah, he stopped here in Portland right out of the day after PAX on Monday. He's touring the West. The Western Territories. He's very cool. We stayed up until midnight shooting the shit. Aw. Just talking about geeky stuff. His uh, Twitter handle is Sean Baca because he's a huge Star Wars fan. Aw. He's a fan of the Expanded Universe, of which I am not. Because I think that's You're just glorified school. fan fiction bullshit. Right. As much as, like, you know, not like the real Star Wars isn't glorified Flash uh-huh. Gordon fan you're, fiction bullshit. But. You're, you're an old-time Star Wars fan. Yeah, I just care about the movies. And the movies themselves are barely any good. Much less the expanded universe. Not barely any good. I like the original ones. Understand, but. listeners, that Bill is speaking from a place of deep love. Yeah, I've been a Star Wars fan for, like, you know, 35 years. Fuck that shit. I've gone off on rants before about how I believe that Star Wars destroyed the imaginations of an entire generation of young males. Oh, did you talk to Court and Fatboy, or Fatboy, uh, Bobby Roberts? How we're supposed to be on the new nerd fight? Yes. I suggested one of the topics we could talk about. Uh, for people who don't know, here in Portland, Oregon, Bobby Roberts, he's a podcaster, Court and Fatboy. He's the Fatboy half. He's asked me and Dylan to be on the next Nerd Fight podcast, which is where he just gets a whole bunch of Portland nerds together and we just hash out topics of the day and he asked me for uh, topic suggestions and i suggested star wars because it would be interesting because you'd be in a room full of star wars people and you'd be the only person who don't give a shit about star wars in the whole room well one of the other guests on the program will be mike russell and i i actually had a long oh, conversation <laughs> you need to stop drinking that straight <laughs> you're gonna be unconscious it's by the good. end of this i'm gonna well, be this great but... i'm gonna be the designated driver of this podcast it's a different flavor yeah i know wow. <laughs> i might not make it to the end Back to what I was saying before you belched. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Mike, Mike Russell's going to be on Nerd Fight too, and he actually has a great monologue for uh, Livewire, which I is still a, haven't heard about that yet. Yeah, it's a radio show here in Portland that's also syndicated on some national radio uh, stations. Yeah. And uh, if you just search for Livewire Radio, they will pop right up. But they invited him to come do a monologue, and he decided to talk about his lifelong relationship with Star Wars, which yeah. is very. It's very give it's and take, push pull. Love, well, everyone's hate. relation, unless you're seven years old right now, everyone's relationship with Star Wars is complicated. I, I believe the premise of his monologue is that like every seven years, his relationship to Star Wars yeah. undergoes a, I, a change. Okay, yeah. well, I think he was like he was seven when Star Wars first came out. Yes, like every seven years, there's been something some kind new of, like, happens. Yeah, yeah, some kind of new like dynamic. Yeah, and I think this is like. But I, I, I got to go to the taping because it's a variety show. They have a live audience there. Yeah. It's really fun. Um, Courtney Hamleister, who's one of the big guests on the Court and Fatboy show, hosts the show. Oh, okay. So it was it was a big fun thing. I got to be there. And uh, Mike had come over to our house a 
few few evenings before to talk about his monologue, mm. and I went on my Star Wars rant <laughs> at a certain point. Because not and that then, you dislike Star Wars. No. You just don't understand the hold Star Wars has held on so many males for the last oh, I 35 under, I years. I understand it. I just, I find it, no, mon- but I find it monotonous and disheartening. You understand it, like, like from, like, a... It's like somebody who scholastic ate. point of view. It's like somebody. It's like an anthropological point of view. You can understand it. My my feelings about it are that it's like somebody had a, a really great peanut butter and jelly sandwich when they were nine. Yeah. And they now refuse to eat any other kind of sandwich. And then they named their, their kids peanut butter and jelly. Exactly. Yeah. So at a certain point, I'm like, I think this is retarding your development rather than contributing well, to it. But so Mike name checked me in his monologue. Oh, he did. Like. I'm sure that they're going to disagree with me if I say, and from the audience, I just got to yell, yes. <laughs> so I was that yeah. annoying person. <laughs> no, not annoying. I mean, Star Wars is interesting if it could open your uh, boundaries, open your horizons toward other things, like the things that influenced George Lucas oh, to make Star well, Wars. Well, there's nothing wrong with loving Star Wars for its own sake. Like, I genuinely enjoy those movies. I, I love and... them, particularly as a teenager. That world just doesn't have much of a grasp over my own imaginary space. Yeah. Like, I'm not I'm not somebody who's going to be sitting there drawing Jawas or anything. Well, you're a history and classics major, so you get all your essential, like, storytelling vitamins and nutrients from actual, like, the shit that actually influenced Star Wars. Rather than letting your life I'm be influenced here going, by Star I wonder Wars. if I could do a retelling of the Orpheus and Eurydice myth. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and everyone else is like, I want to tell the ultimate Darth Vader story in my new comic <laughs> that I'm drawing. I just need someone to draw it for me. Yeah. That's true. No, George Lucas loves Joseph Campbell. And yeah, exactly. It's all about myth cycles. The, in- the influences that went into that that universe and the... You know, the, the, the morals that it teaches aren't wrong or bad or anything like that. It's just weird that, like... Star Wars really did, did shape the mind of, like, almost, like, two entire generations of kids now. It's kind of weird. And it's weird to see that, like, uh, with the Clone Wars, that everyone, like, writes off all the Star Wars prequel shit as bullshit, which they kind of are. But kids love that shit. There's the, like, the Star Wars cartoons show and stuff like that. You were talking about, you went to a kid's birthday party recently, where the big thing was Legos Star and Star Wars, Wars Legos. Understand, though, that this, this child's father has Star Wars tattoos. Oh, no, but some, well, so it is it's yeah. in the family. Yeah. Well, part of it, I mean, but some kids are coming to Star Wars by themselves. Like, oh, yeah, but the they play the Lego stuff. Star Wars video games. Yeah, no, those games are huge. And... and these are people who don't know what the fuck, like, Chewbacca is or anything like that because, well, I guess maybe a little bit because Chewbacca I should also cool clarify movies, that Lou's like, father refuses to let him watch the prequels, yeah. so Lou has only seen the three originals. But yeah, there's a lot of kids out there who love Star Wars but don't know what the hell the Millennium Vulcan is, which is kind of hilarious. Aww. So. <laughs> Geek sadness. You have accomplished making me talk about Star Wars. Yeah, Star Wars. It's not a bad thing. To talk. It's not taboo. And we're done. We haven't talked about it, like in depth, like whether or not George Lucas made up Darth Vader being Luke's father, like on the fly. You know what? The man had Which the misfortune to create a few things that were beyond his capability to uh, truly supposedly, appreciate. He, like he like really loathed Star Wars. Now, but Simon Pegg has a famous thing where he supposedly he uh, bumped into George Lucas somewhere, uh-huh. and uh, his one piece of advice to Simon Pegg was. Don't just keep on remaking the same movie for the rest of your life. Wow, so George Whatever Lucas has do, actually learned that lesson? Supposedly, this is something that, like, Simon Pegg he's has repeated to a whole bunch of people. Like, supposedly, this is something, like, he said to Simon Pegg, yeah. and he's, like, you know, he's not going to admit it to anyone else, like, on videotape or anything like that. But supposedly, behind the scenes, he, he understands how his life has been kind of, like, turned into a cage, a Star Wars-shaped cage. Which is kind of sad, a little bit. I yeah. knew it's rich. It's not like you can do a boo, big boo-hoo tears for George Lucas, but still creatively, though. <laughs> Who weeps for George Lucas? Uh, I watched uh, a bit of the 
documentary, uh, The People vs. George Lucas. Oh, man. I saw bits of that, and that just seemed... Go ahead. Uh, no, it was it was a little bit much. Yeah, Couldn't people a little too it. angry at George Lucas. Yeah, it gets like... to a point where you're like, really, you're you're mad that about Star Wars. I mean, he made it. He he gets to ruin Just, it yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, whatever. I mean, yeah, yeah who gives? I, whatever. What happened to you this week? How you? What doing? happened to me this week? Yeah, this is what we usually do. Because I don't know if you've ever been on a normal episode. You haven't. Uh, we usually just spend week. the first like ten minute, minutes talking about our lives, and then we take a break, and then we talk about the geek weekend review. Oh, okay. So this is like what well, shit shit we did this week. We didn't do anything. You had a sick cat. You I did. Dylan went on vacation. Her set. Her cat. My cat. Died. My cat exploded back home. Yeah. So the cat. Aww. Like uh, Rosalind. Rosalind, who is the sweetest, fattest. Drooling cat in the world. Here's the thing. Ross she's is a little Totoro. She's not fat anymore. Well, I know, but she's, she's still fat. Perfectly to me. normal weight, but she's now a skinny cat inside a fat cat suit. Yeah, Dylan it's like got... she's wearing oversized pajamas. <laughs> Don't get Rosalind. We're still living together, so I still emotionally still think of Rosalind as half my cat, <laughs> just because she takes after me because she's a little fat and stupid. But yeah, yeah. just no, she's but no, she just she came, is a wall-eyed beauty. She came down with some kind of like Dylan and her uh, lady friend uh, Katie went off to the coast last week, and while you were gone. Uh, this Rosalind cat got super sick. So you had the exciting thing of taking your cat to the vet, wondering if it was going to die, and then spending $350 to make it all better. Yay! Yay! So that's your week. Yay! She's fine. Yes, my week was. My she cat not was dead. sick, and now she isn't. Well, you're, you're, if anything, you do have geeky news, just because, if anything, you're more hardcore than I am, because you blew out your arm drawing comic books. Well, yeah. And, and so you're and still getting over, what's it called? Laying out comic books. Tendonitis? Uh, Yes. Yeah, yeah, I have some pretty nasty medial nerve tendons. You had to take a month off from your webcomic. Dylan's webcomic is Family Man. Yeah. It's a comic about... Have we talked about your comic on the podcast? We have. We have multiple times. Uh, It's about werewolves. It takes place in like 1782 or something like 68. that. 68. 1768. Close enough. It's within yeah. a generation. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a prequel to her uh, vampire farce comic, Bite Me, which yeah. was about revolutionary times, vampires and shit like that in the French Revolution. Mm-hmm. You can explain it better than I. I should let you talk. <laughs> I'm gonna drink some rum while you explain to me no. what, what Family Man is. No, don't drink more rum. No, I'm not gonna have too much. I'm not gonna get drunk. Aww. I had half a bottle of whiskey while we were watching the Battlestar Galactica. I remember because you were trying to do anything. You were trying to be like uh, like Commander Ty. Yeah, yeah. It didn't and you do were anything. so disappointed that you didn't give yourself alcohol. Poisoning. I did have sex with a toaster later on in the evening. <laughs> well, I unplugged it from the wall so that, I didn't get it that pregnant. That happened to us all. Back God, then. Battlestar Galactica. Ah, that was a while ago too. That was a long time ago. Battlestar's uh-huh. been off the air for a while. That's true. Man, it makes me so sad. I, uh, oh, I know what I can talk about. What? I... <laughs> this is going to be that kind of podcast. No, no. What else did I do? I don't I, know. I just finished up a month of being an extra in Trek in the Park. Oh, yeah. How'd that go? Which is a wonderful Portland theater phenomenon uh, where a little theater company called Atomic Arts puts on an episode of the original Star Trek series. Yeah. Uh, live uh, in a park. Yeah, this happens every weekend for the month of August. This is, what, the fourth year that's been going on? Yep. Uh, this was uh, actually in an episode of uh, Portlandia. Mm-hmm. It also show. appeared on the CBS Sunday Morning Show. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. But yeah, they make all so the, they Google... make all the costumes and all the sets and all the music and sound effects and everything. Yeah, it's if all you homebrewed. Google Trek in the Park CBS, that'll probably be the first YouTube clip that pops up, and Dylan yeah. probably shows up in the background as a Vulcan really quickly. Uh, yes, I was a Vulcan diplomatic aide. Yeah, you didn't have any lines. You were just because well, the episode you guys did this year was Journey to Babel. Uh huh. Yep. Yeah. Which is not a very action-oriented It is about episode. Spock's parents, where we find out yeah. that his mom is a human. <gasps> oh my god! 
And so, uh, Spock's parents were played by friends of the podcast, Paul Anina and Guinan. Paul Guinan. <laughs> Paul Guinan yeah, and Anina Bennett. <laughs> Wait, no, what'd I say? Yeah, you reversed everything. <laughs> and Paul and Anina are the creators of uh, Boilerplate, which yeah. is, if you were into steampunk at all, you probably have this book on your coffee table right now. Didn't that should get optioned by J.J. Abrams? It did indeed, speaking yeah. of Star Trek connections. But anyway, Paul was uh, chosen to play Spock's right, dad, I'll... and Anina was chosen to play Spock's mom. Uh, and because I had been a Vulcan at their Halloween party a few years before, that's right. I was asked to be uh, I was asked to be Sarek's aide. So you had to stand there and very, be a very prim. I got to look very Vulcan. arch and disapproving during a couple of scenes. Yeah. But yeah, it meant that I got to hang out with a whole ton of nerds backstage those guys in the park. Super cool. And and you are a theater person. You I just am. don't get to exercise with those muscles that often these days. Yeah, so this is a great time. Which is nice to see. Yeah, I got just got to arch a brow. Uh, and the crowds were insane. It was held up at Cathedral Park here in Portland, which is just a gorgeous gorgeous park underneath this Tolkien-esque bridge on the river. It is a nicer venue than it used to be held before. Because they had to change venues because so many people showed up to this thing. Yeah, they, people they just... would be sitting behind the actors, like, staring at their backs, like unable to hear anything. Like, 50 feet behind! Yeah. Not even just a little bit behind, but, like, yeah. like on the next hill over So this behind. time they got yeah. a huge amphitheater set up, and seriously, I think the audiences were averaging out at around 2,000 people. It yeah, was, it was really They filled remarkable. up that whole little bowl-shaped, yeah. out, like, little valley of that. But that, it was the... fascinating to see how they translate Star Trek to park theater, which is has such different demands well, from it's a television great, show. It's still theatric enough, like especially like I said, but this episode isn't necessarily the most action oriented or campy episode. Yeah, it's actually like a lot of deals with a little political stuff. There's some personal and things, stuff, yeah. but it's there's a lot of quiet dialogue scenes. But still, you guys managed to make it arch enough that it was still really fun to watch. Yeah, I enjoy watching my friends uh, Jamie Kirk and Cable Hashitani. <laughs> Jamie Kirk belongs to PDX Yar, one of our best local pirate groups. Yeah, and Cable Hashitani runs the Sequential Art Gallery here in town, which They're is both super a, cool. a small gallery that uh, does art by comic book artists. Yeah. He's had a few shows of mine. Uh, they too played the Andorian diplomats, which means they were spray painted blue and given white hair and antennas for every show. And then Jamie, who is also yeah. the fight coordinator, uh, got to have a, a, an intense onstage fight with Adam Roscoe, who founded the company and plays Kirk. Yeah, and his mom does all the uh, like costumes and stuff. His mom Marge it's really does kind all of the a costumes. family affair. It's that kind Amy of thing. produces it. His yeah. his ex roommate is Spock. It's it's really it was super fun. Yeah, uh, super delightful experience. I got to make all sorts of new friends. I was really uh, impressed by the uh, Andorian makeup, but how they actually did airbrush. It wasn't just yeah. like a quick like let's 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 put some blue uh, poster paints on you. It was yes. like actually nicely well done. Probably did better than the makeup and the actual original episode. Yes, and the the gentleman who plays Scott. He was actually the one doing the airbrush. Oh, was he? So, yeah. Aww. <laughs> we're sitting there backstage. Also explains little... why he's only in the show for like ten seconds. Well, too, we're sitting yeah. there in this little patch of grass, and the you know the airbrush machine just going. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Pretty, you know, had, uh, and then Aww. Jamie and Cable would do this thing where right before they went on stage for the first time, Cable would produce this tiny bottle of blue food coloring, and then they would both take a swig from it and squish it around in their mouths so that their tongues and teeth were blue. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. Lord. Which they got from uh, because they had Jeffrey Coombs, who played Wayoon on Deep Space Nine. Yes. He did the same thing when he played an Andorian character on uh, Enterprise. That's correct. And that character was awesome. Jeffrey Coombs is the record holder for most parts played in Star Trek. He's played seven different characters, <laughs> if you count the episode of Deep Space Nine, where all the characters are translated into 
uh, 20th century oh, San Francisco. Oh, that's a good point, because he's playing two characters he, in that. He yeah. plays both Wayne and then he plays a cop. The, like, the racist cop that also what, ugled cots. Yeah. Yeah, Mark Alamo is also playing. Yeah. And that's that's pretty impressive, considering I don't think he was ever on Star Trek until Deep Space Nine. It's not like he had... It's not like he had any chance. I don't think no, he was ever on Next Generation. I he was on Next Generation. Oh, you know, there's later. a quick way to find this out. Yeah. I'll worry about it later. But it was great. It was, it was really fun to just watch all this come together and see how they, you know, <laughs> picked out fabrics and I got ears put on me. Was, yeah, you look like... It was a blast. If any of you have ever seen Dylan, she looks like a Vulcan anyway. Just oh, the thanks. ears and the, and, the, and the eyebrows and the... I've, that, got, that, I've got the complexion and the cheekbones... Yeah, exactly. and I can project. When you're sitting there working, you look like a Vulcan with very kind of like not stern, <laughs> but like very concentrated face. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was great. I worked up a whole bunch of stuff for my character because I was mostly standing upstage. Yeah. with Jesse who plays Spock, so my character spent a lot of time sort of staring at Spock's butt disdainfully, well, yeah. but with interest. It's funny because you didn't have any lines because you're just Sarek Sade, but you still got to act like you were like interacting with people and still had to be the very prim and proper. Yeah. Like you just rolled off the shit from Vulcan. Yeah. And like you're still kind of disgusted by all these humans around and shit like that. It was very awesome. Oh man, there's, I don't know if I told you about this. There was a heartbreakingly cute moment after the last show yeah. where a family had come to tons of people bring their kids and for a lot of them this is the first time they've seen classic star trek yeah. in any way so yeah. they get really excited to see spock and kirk because you know those two kids they are spock and kirk to them uh Aww. but there was this tiny tiny little girl who was just diaphanously pale with this like little whiskey <coughs> strawberry blonde hair and giant gray eyes and she's like i don't know maybe three or four yeah. and she's clinging to her, her dad's shins and kind of looking shy while they get pictures taken with the guys playing dorians and everything and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of catching her eye. I wear, got to wear this pretty silver cloak and, like, the weird miniskirt and boots Yeah, you and look things. almost as elven as much as, like, Yeah, it was, very, yeah. it was very, like, Lothlorien yeah. secretary kind of thing. But and go-go boots. But I was sort of flirting with this little girl, just, like, you know, making little wavy hands at her and smiling yeah. a little bit. Because she was being really shy around everybody. Because look at all the crazy people wearing, like, Klingon costumes. It's a weird costumes. situation. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. she was a little overwhelmed, but I got a little smile out of her. And then she, she darted away again. And then, like, oh, my God, I'm going to cry. Like, 40 minutes later, her parents were getting ready to leave, and they had her, and the dad came up to me, and he's like, excuse me, my daughter here wanted to get a picture with the gray cloak lady. Aww. Oh, my Lord. Aww. My heart almost exploded. She's going to find that, like, a photo or Polaroid or something in, like, a case 20 years from now and go, like, what the hell is this? Yeah, no, so yeah. He, he held her up next to Aww. me, and I got to put my head in and made the little live long and prosper hands, yeah. and oh, my Lord. Oh, that, aw. Oh, I'm seriously, like, tearing up afterwards. I was like, the cuteness. Yeah. The cuteness. She's probably going to grow up to have a thing for Vulcan. She's probably going to... Uh, <laughs> girl growing up in Portland, Oregon, she's suddenly going to have a thing. She's probably going to grow up into a lesbian uh -huh. that has a thing for dark-haired, brunette, like, Vulcan ladies. And one day she's going to look back at that phone and go, oh, that's where that kind of started. You are welcome, dark-haired ladies of the future. Yeah, no, exactly, I, I got yeah. pictures taken with a few little girls. It was really sweet. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah unfortunately, uh, next year is... The last year? The it's last year. Trouble with trouble. Just because it'll be the fifth year and it's, you know, that's right. that's a nice time to end it just because it's, you know, the end of the five-year mission will be Trouble with Tribbles. You know, the only thing that sucks is uh, Trouble with Tribbles has a much smaller cast. Mm -mm. Because there's only, like... The guy who who sells the tribbles and a couple of people on the bar on the on space station and yeah. a couple Klingons and stuff. Yeah, there's not quite as many uh, uh role opportunities. I figure that. I could just play a tribble. 
Well, that's what I was I'm joking. Small enough, you know. After the show, I was joking like guys, like me, because the trouble of tribbles ends with Kirk in a giant pile of tribbles. I was like, just make you a could be the pile of tribbles, and I can come up and give him a hug, and I could be the pile of tribbles, and then walk away when I when you have to get rid of the Not tribbles from that scene. The worst idea. You People were laughing. You could have played the Horta in The Devil in the Dark if they'd done that episode. <laughs> just put me in a plastic bag, and I just, just roll around. We just on the put ground. you in a big <laughs> sleeping <laughs> bag, and then you write "No Kill I" with chalk, and then. Uh, that'll be for whenever they come back like five years from yeah. now to do another second you know five year run that was really fun and then oh, for, for the last show uh, Garrett Wong who played Harry Kim on uh, Star Trek Voyager was yeah, in town that was great I only he was a total sweetie we had to bully him into appearing in one of the scenes as an ensign on deck who like issued a few you know different commands it was really stuff, cute I wonder if he is from Portland because I wonder how no, he, he, was, happened... he lives in Las Vegas but he was an incredibly cool guy. He hung out with us backstage the whole time. No, everyone just raved about how we, cool that we guy was. We gossiped with him about Comic-Con. He was like, I hate it, man. There's teenagers asking for things for three, for free. And we're like, that's what we hate about Comic-Con, too. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, he we we had to pressure him into going on stage so he wasn't being all Mr. Peacocky about it. And then he stuck around for ages afterwards. And came to the after party. Yeah, he came to the after party. He took photos with, with fans after the show and signed autographs. He was a super nice guy. Yeah, it sounds like he just hung out with the whole crew for, like, the whole rest of the night. Yeah, he was a really sweet dude. So... Yay for him. Did you tease him? Uh, did you ask him whether or not it's actually original Garrett Wang or if it's his doppelganger that they had to replace him with? Oh, from the other universe. I've never seen that episode, but you've always told me about that. that yeah. That's what... Let's look, Ensign Kim at the end of the series is not the original Ensign Kim no, they start off with, right? No, because there's, there's, there's an alternate that's universe Voyager. That's actually they, a great idea. Yeah. 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 No, it's interesting. Harry Kim dies a few times, How so. does he get killed? Like, well, when gonna... they have to replace him? Spoilers. He's like the Rory Williams of... Something like Star that. Trek yeah, he bit. he is the universe's play. The undervalued, yeah, super badass. He always kid, he's yeah. always falling in love with a hologram or a alien spy or well, yeah, somebody, somebody that turns out to be an IKEA coffee table. Were you or... watching the, the the pilot? I forgot that he like he never gets that's he never gets mission. promoted. Yeah, that sucks. Oh, that <laughs> happens again on Enterprise too. People were like pointing out that Enterprise, the last episode of Enterprise, jumps like six years into the future, and absolutely no one has a promotion on the ship. Oh. Everyone's like, oh, that's kind of weird, especially for well, like. Voyager, you know, you're you're seven years away from home, so... Although they're killing enough people. You'd think there's, like, forward, you know, like, forward movement up the ranks. Well, but apparently Brandon Braga was like, somebody has to be the ensign. So I know, I, I know. But it doesn't have to be. He could have just been at least, like... Meanwhile, you know, Tom Paris is all getting promoted and demoted. Demoted every, like, every, the every other and, episode. Yeah, exactly, yeah. 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 So Star Trek, I'm glad you had a good time with it. I but like I said, especially time. with you ha being having theater roots, you don't have a lot of opportunities to exercise those here in Portland because you, know, you do mostly comic book stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so it's great. That to... gives me enough opportunities to goof off in front of a crowd. But yeah. this was really fun. I missed hanging out and rehearsing and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, and everyone seemed to enjoy the whole goddamn thing. So. I had a great time. Yeah. Plus, I was actually sort of acting as Sarek's aide backstage. I would frequently help zip Paul into his costume. <laughs> Um, I looked after their dog, Bowie. Yeah, I love that they brought the dog, Bowie, and he actually had a red shirt on. Yeah, no, he, they, they custom made that tunic. for him, that little doggy ringer tee that's red, and then they, he had they the had engineering the little, patch, too, yeah. engineering patch. He came out for the last couple of bows. It was yeah. great. Well, there was a thing on, what was it, like, the next to last weekend? Was it the next to last weekend? Or, like, the Saturday of that weekend, a dog jumped up on stage? Yeah, during the fight between uh, the, the, the Andorian yeah. and Captain Kirk, uh, so Jamie and Adam, a, somebody's unleashed dog bounded up towards the stage and started started barking 
the, the dog didn't want episode. people to fight. The like, dog was doing a great thing. He was apparently mostly barking at the Andorian, at the blue dudes. Which yeah, well, he's the aggressor. Sense. He's trying to stab Kirk in the back, and yeah. so he's like, yeah, back off with everybody. But I, I took a photo set I'm very proud of where I went up to the very top of the St. John's Bridge, oh, yeah. which overlooks the theater, and took a whole lot of optical zoom photos of the stage from way above. Yeah. So it's really cool. There's scene you can see the fight scene from bird's eye view. Yeah. It's neat. Well yeah, that, that that one thing with Kirk fighting the Andorian is just like perfect. Like they're posed perfectly too. It looks like yeah. almost like a little diorama. That's little fun. action figure thing like that. So that was so. that was a wonderful little thing unexpected thing in the middle of my summer. I got to drive out through the river uh, a bald eagle flew over my car on the way to one show. It's really, it's just a beautiful wow. part of the city. Well, it's, 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 it's Portland. You don't have to go very far to find, you know, we're in the middle of Oregon. You don't have to go very far to find, like, cool looking stuff. Even yeah. if it's just the one side of the town to the other, you're going to, like, fucking cougars and yeah. bears. <laughs> bears just manning the, the, uh, the, the, the toll booth at the It, it is a highway. place where you can see a heron within city limits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> what the? So what else? Did anything else interesting happen to you lately? Um, Other than cat sick and I've Star Trek, I've been laying and, out a whole pile of books. Yeah. Well, Dylan also uh, this weekend had, or not this weekend, this summer had a Kickstarter for her getting three of her books put into prints. Well, the one your earliest book, Bite Me, that was already in print. This was just to get a reprint done. Yep. Uh, to, to get a was Please, it the second it's, volume? It's of? an anniversary issue, including a brand new story. Book. That's what it is. So it's a special edition. So if you already own it, you might want to buy a second copy. Oh yeah. Um, what Put are the other two me. books? Uh, the other two books are Dance Macabre 2.0, which is uh, there's this great medieval tradition of images of people from every station in life with every possible job. Yeah. Uh, being confronted by death, who's generally this happy, dancey little corpse. That's it's really of, like, creepy. Yeah. He's got like snakes coming out of his tummy. Yeah. And people react with varying attitudes towards this. But this is like just... medieval. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's generally like 15th, late 15th century where you have these people who are either like, okay, I guess it's my time to die. Whee! Mm -hmm. And death will be playing like, you know, the medieval equivalent of a tuba or whatever. So I um, did a bunch of images that uh, kept the same style but involved death dancing with modern type people. Yeah, that was super cool. So instead of being, you know, a knight or a pope... It was, you know, the blogger or the hipster, the, the celebutante. So it was, it was a lot of fun. And I made the instruments modern instruments that you know had something to do with the person he was dancing like with, like a oboe or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So like with the hipster, death has like a little cassette deck. Oh, that's that right. That's what I forgot about. Yeah, well, you also right. have like the gamer. Yeah, he's playing. Death is playing Blue Ocarina. Is the yeah? I forgot about that. <laughs> Isn't the last one the cartoonist, and it's yes. actually you? Yes. What's what's the what's death playing in that? Uh, we're, we're playing those little party honker things. Okay, that's yeah. what it is. Okay, yeah. yeah. Wow! That's yeah. fantastic, and that's a little, like, a little baby chap book. Yeah, it's, it's hardcover. It is a 48-page teeny tiny book. Yeah, Dylan showed me, uh, the blank versions of all these books, and, like, it's, all this stuff is gonna be hardcover, it's just really gorgeous. Super pretty, yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be fantastic. And what's the third book? Uh, my short comic out, Fox, so it's about 24 pages, and, uh, that's the comic that I nominated for an Eisner Award this past year. Yeah. Uh, which you just lost like last month. Or month but nominated for an Eisner uh, for what? Best digital comic, right? Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. Um, so the logical thing to do is to put it in print. And what? So this stuff you'll be able to buy this stuff what in October? Uh, November probably early November. Okay, because you're just trying to get this at least by Halloween. I have to send it out to the people who bought it on Kickstarter first. Oh no, but I'm just saying. And then but the like, rest of y'all get a crack. Um, but yeah, if you donate to the Kickstarter, you'll probably be seeing this stuff by Halloween. But in order to make this Halloween deadline for the Kickstarter people, 
uh, you had to get all the files done by the uh, beginning of September, shipped off to China where they're going to print all this stuff. Crazy time. And so, yeah, you Woo! blew your arm out. It, Dylan has a, ten, uh, what, a history of tendonitis in one arm? Yeah. And you blew your arm out just, like, correcting files and fixing I've things. I've got tendonitis. For prints. Oh, ladies. Yeah, between that and actually having to draw a comic with a busted arm. Yeah. Yeah, you've been having kind of a rough time with it. I really. get to see super cool hand therapists at the soccer stadium in town, though. Oh, really? Yeah. Is it, like, for the actual soccer team? Yeah, the soccer the team gets therapy there. That's not so I get to go to the same therapy clinic uh, as the Portland Timbers. Wait, are you on Katie's... MLS is losing a soccer team. Are you on Katie's uh, health insurance? Because you're a freelance cartoonist. This is the least interesting subject for radio <laughs> ever. <laughs> I will say that, yes, the waiting room looks out over the soccer pitch... And they have a bike from Lance Armstrong bolted to the wall. Did he get killed or something? No, he's decided to stop contesting the doping charges. Do you think he did it? I never, I hadn't heard anything about this until last week. I when have never met When everyone started joking about how he died because he refused the doping charges and went to the moon. What? Did you see this? A lot of people on Twitter were confusing uh, Neil Armstrong with Lance, Lance Armstrong. Armstrong. Uh, a lot of people had thought like Lance Armstrong well, had killed himself. You know because... what? A lot of people don't know where an apostrophe goes. You know what? Some people were also confusing that with Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day. I think I talked about this on the last week's podcast. Apparently, so. everybody named Neil was suspected of having died. Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. They were like, uh, R.I.P. I loved uh, How I Met Your Mother so much. <laughs> And, like, when I saw that, I was like, wait, what the hell is that? But yeah, anything Hopefully with Neil. Neil Gaiman escaped that. Yeah, that's true, like... too. Did you see Neil Gaiman's writing another Doctor Who? Oh, that's great. He won a Hugo. Well, I guess, well, the Hugo Awards, which, that's the science fiction awards? Yes. For both literature and TV shows and movies and stuff like that. And I guess, uh, yeah, that was last week. And I guess when he, he, he was picking up his award for The Doctor's Wife, huh. which was the best episode of oh, last year's Doctor episode. Who. Uh, he was like, oh, yeah, I'm already on the third draft of my next episode. Aww. Which will air either, like, as part of this season or the next season. Oh, that's great. So. I look forward to that. But yeah, no, Doug Neil Gaiman, he knows what he's doing. He's Sandman. Good. He's a good guy. Oh, I just forgot... Dylan's birthday is in a couple days, and I just forgot something I could have gotten Dylan. That is not... Pretend that it's not Sandman-related, that I just suddenly reminded myself out loud <laughs> on the podcast. Uh, what else? Yeah, anything else? I feel like that's a pretty good amount right there. Yeah, what, I, what the hell did I do this? There's not a lot I can talk about, because you either have not seen this stuff, or you just don't care about this stuff. Like Doctor Who and Breaking Bad. Uh, Doctor Who just started up. Breaking Bad just ended for the year. Yes. Uh, yeah, I can you... tell by the wailing of my studio mates. Oh, for, with Breaking Bad? Yes. Yeah. No, it's a good... Is everyone watching it down at Periscope? Yes. Yeah. No, it's a good... Well, no, you, you've, you've only... You've, you've watched up to at least the fourth season ender. Yes. So you're only like eight episodes behind everybody. Yeah. So do you, do you think it's a pretty good show? Oh, Have you I think seen most of it? I think it's an excellent show. It's just nerve-wracking as fuck to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was a good finale. Like, uh... uh I've been really impressed because uh, I've even mentioned on the podcast before. I've been as this last half of this la the first half of this last season has been airing. These last eight episodes of Breaking Bad, I've been going back on Netflix and watching the first uh, two seasons, and I'm really, uh, yeah, I'm really impressed by how solid, solidly plotted things have been across the five, well, four and a half seasons now, I guess. 
about like little callbacks and the way things are kind of set up and executed. It, it like really feels like a novel for television. It seems like they laid down good architecture, even if they didn't know exactly. Because yeah. I know that Jesse Pinkman was originally only supposed to be a single season character. Yeah, he was, like supposed... He was supposed to be killed off. Yeah, but then they... they liked the dynamic and the performance so much. Yeah, which that totally shapes the entire thing. I, I guess the only season they really plotted out from beginning to end uh, in, in ahead of time was the second season, which ends with kind of a goofy... Well, they've got that loop with the... the they, they always have little intros to the episodes that are yeah. clearly taking place sort of at an end point yeah. in the in the that particular part of the story arc so you spend the entire season going oh when are we gonna and get that's to when it? they did that in second season where like and then yeah, they the first loop back around and they've actually done that again with the fifth season interesting where uh the beginning of the fifth season uh does not uh does not quite line up where this fifth season actually ends so far so we're missing some stuff what you don't want me to oh don't take away the rum do you want some yeah, that's fine. It's not like super hearty stuff. I've had a decent amount of it. I'm not too drunk. At least any more <laughs> drunk than I typically am. So yeah, Breaking Bad, no spoilers, but that's good. Uh, yeah, Doctor Who came back with a very... Not bad episode. I'm fucking tired of Amy and Rory. That's what it all boils down to. Oh, I can handle plenty of Rory. No, because... well, I mean, Rory's fine, Rory, but like... Rory is sort of like Donna in that he, he is a companion who is not in love with the doctor yeah, which is nice but he's to just see. kind of sitting there to be like are you kidding me yeah that's he's, not a thing a person gets to do he's, he's what most people who aren't infatuated with doctor who would be thinking if they're in that situation yeah which what? is wow you're pretty fascinating please stop this hurts yeah well dylan hasn't seen this new episode either yet so no major spoilers or anything like that but it's weird that like the we talked about this offline right before we started recording was it was weird that the last season seemed to end with the suggestion that the doctor was going to go off well not only did amy and uh, rory leave you yeah. see they there was like two separate occasions where they, they, they left. got an epilogue yeah that yeah that like that's why i was surprised when they started talking about this new season about oh amy and rory are coming back i'm like really i thought they were like done they, they've been put so much through the ringer in the last uh, season yeah, they, get, they get to come back for a christmas special yeah maybe years. that is the most but yeah i'm surprised hmm. they're coming back as full-time companions again and also they set up this thing where that at the end of the last season where the doctor everyone thinks he's dead because yeah i couldn't even remember exactly why he everyone thinks he, he, he's dead yeah he faked suffice, his death in a robot and so, but at the beginning of this episode, they kind of like that. A lot of that stuff gets kind of not ignored, but like kind of just shrugged off. Like, no, we're back to the status quo of Doctor Amy and Rory running around the, the galaxy. Doing well, stuff. Doctor Who is is a little bit like Downton Abbey in that it tries to project a, a greater sophistication than it actually is yeah, interested in. Yeah, and uh, I think that's part of why both Downton Abbey and Doctor Who are such fun shows. Is that ultimately they don't take themselves so seriously that they really got get stuck on anything yeah. but it does mean that if you're expecting something like joycean in its complexity like you know architecture like you get in breaking bad yeah you're probably gonna be disappointed but uh yeah yeah and like it's it's high budget popcorn tv not not drama TV. Yeah, it's, that's, not, it's not literature TV. That's one thing more the Moffat stuff. Moffat, he has written such great individual episodes with great, such great, like, plotting and architecture and, like, great little, just, like, almost like little, like, little clockwork stories yeah. that have worked out so well. But, like, his storytelling, plotting, architectural abilities across either a whole season or across multiple seasons, it seems to be really wonky. You don't think they're as strong? <laughs> yeah, no, well, definitely. Like, like, like he relied so much on the last season was a season was so much about, like, who was River Song. Mm-hmm. And, like, that could have been handled... Hand- it could have been so much more definitely handled. Instead, he just kept him driving home, like, who was River Song? Who was River Song? And, like, who was River Song was an interesting question, but not one that had to be 
brought up every goddamn episode, and then River Song shows up like, ooh, guess who I am? I'm going away. It was I, a little bit like... We did find ourselves wanting breaks from the River Song storyline. Yeah. Like, okay, can we have a Monster of the Week episode? Well, that's what happened with the last, the last season got broken in half, and the last half of the first half... The last episode of the first half... How do you even... The first party of the second part. Yeah, something like that. Who was well, the first? But the last half of the... The last episode of the first half of the last season... Jesus. Ended with a big... That's actually when you got the revelation that River Song is Amy and Rory's kid. And then... That was the Battle of Demons run thing. And suddenly they went away for like a summer. And then they came back with the, the next episode that was going to be called Let's Kill Hitler. Which you think is going to be a nice palate cleanser from all this drama of who is River Song. You're like, yeah, yeah. And then that turns out River Song shows up again. And Hitler just gets shoved into a closet in the first we're five minutes. Make, we're going to make people sad if we complain about Doctor Who again on this Oh, podcast. no, no, no. It's not bad. It's just, I, I still love Doctor Who. A man and... Uh, mild spoilers for this episode there's a, ca- a character who shows up in this new episode which again is like oh man if you're gonna have a new companion that character should have been the companion they go away Aww. just like the uh arabic girl in the last season in the yeah, hotel room she was cool where she was super badass i was like oh you're smart and funny and I wish a minority could... and... yeah i wish you could go back in time and save her yeah and uh, no and so that kind of same thing happens again in this episode too oh. And yeah, it's kind of a yeah. So all right. Well, once you we'll watch it sometime soon, and we'll talk about it later. But. I I enjoy Doctor Who as television that I can knit to. But yeah, but it's not bad. I want to give the impression that I'm suddenly fed up with Doctor Who and everything. It's just you know Doctor Who's back with with all the good things the and bad caveats, things that entails. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Or at least the Moffat era stuff. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised because when Moffat first started, everyone was kind of kind of like so down on Stephen Moffat's work. Uh, at least everyone was so much mourning. Uh, Richard, was it Richard T. Davies? The guy who rejuvenated Russell. Russell T. Davies? Everyone was mourning him so much. I was like, man, you should give uh, uh, Moffat a chance. And actually, in retrospect, I think Moffat was kind of like, a, uh, Russell T. Davies was actually, on a larger scale, was probably a better, more consistent writer slash producer of Doctor Who than Stephen Moffat is. I'd say he was necessarily better, but he's more consistent. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the, Russell T. Davies era, David Tennant era, Doctor Who had its ups and downs, too. But the ups and downs weren't quite so widely pronounced. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Well, you know, yeah. yeah. Pootie tag. Indeed. So, uh, that, De La Soul is dead. I've been listening to a shitload of that. Um, friend of the podcast that we were talking about, the, did we talk about the nerd fight stuff? Yes. We did. Uh, he, That'll the, be uh, September 22nd at the Roslyn Theater. Yeah, we, that's when we're recording it. The most recent episode just went up last week, which was an all-musical episode of The Nerd Fight, and De La, Soul got, De La Soul got brought up a lot of times. Wow. And talk- De La Soul's awesome! Yeah, I've been having fun listening to it. Uh, their second and third albums, De La Soul de- is dead. No, wait. It's De La Soul, Three Feet High and Rising, and De La Soul is dead. Fucking fantastic albums. 20 years old from 1991, 1992. And, uh, yeah, I found those, and you, it's hard to find. You can't, like, down, digitally download them, so you have to, unless you go out and buy the CDs, which is actually harder to do than you think. Yeah. You have to, to get them, but here's some more. But they're good. I love those things. They're fantastic. That's a lot of fun. I found them in a dumpster. Aw. Actually, I, I'm probably going to th- throw down for the actual CDs next week. You yeah. know, it's, um, they were interesting because uh, they were kind of a weird hippie a lot of people call them hippies because they were like one of the few hip hop bands twenty years ago that was really extolling like uh like peace and love and stuff. This yeah. right at the dawn of the gangster rap era. Which that was more of a West Coast thing. These guys were from from Amityville, New York. 
But uh, yeah, no, they're just like you know, kind of like very. They're fun. Yeah, they're, they're exactly. You don't get a lot of ra- uh, fun in rap. It's not. It's not aggressive. <laughs> or at least ba- back then, you know, yeah, you, you know, Wu Tang can be kind of fun and well, stuff too. Old school, I think, had a, had a little more joyfulness. Yeah, to exactly. It. That's what it is. Or a little more. We're goofing off. We. Well, the whole Dale's Soul is Dead is kind of set up to be like a kid's album. So in between each song, uh-huh. it's like, ding, turn your pages of the Dale's Soul record book. <laughs> and it also sets up the idea that like the, the record that you're listening to is just a tape that was found in the garbage by this kid who's trying to like get these other people to watch it. And then these other guys show up and beat him up and take his tape. And it's all just ridiculous. And there's it's a, a lot of skits. It's, it's a concept album. Exactly. There's a lot of like like rap albums these days really don't come with skits. But this is a very skit heavy album, oh, which is always funny. hilarious to hear. So yeah, no, De La Soul. Oh, there's an album I'm excited about because I'm a nerd. Oh, what's up? Uh, David Byrne and St. Vincent did an album together recently. St. Vincent, the lady with the hair? Yeah. Yeah. They, what, what kind of album? Uh, they collaborated on an album. Of... It's not like... I For some reason, I imagine it's, that it's would be like... like medieval chamber music. No, no. It's it, it's a pop album. Oh, okay. Pop rock album. And the, they've released a couple of tracks so far. I believe it's on NPR Music. It does the first listen thing where you can stream the oh, whole album cool. before yeah. it comes out for sale. And I, I like both of them a bunch. Can you tell we're white? We're like, my favorite rap is Dan So My favorite album is David Burns. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to pretend that they're anything but the oh, whitest no, I'm thing making, ever. I'm making fun of both of us. Let's oh, go that sure. way. Yeah. But no, they they are both interesting musicians. I like, love Sting. I know you do, dear. His, med- his song of medieval songs is fantastic. His album of medieval. Okay, maybe the rum is kicking in. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Yeah, Spice but anyway, it's, it, it sounds just like a fun, weird album. Like, I, I appreciate that both of those artists sing yeah. about weird, random topics. They're both kooky motherfuckers, yeah. Yeah, but they also have music that you can actually just have as background noise. It's it's not like... Yeah. It's not, not, a, it's not that kind of arty album where you just feel assaulted unless you're really in a mood to sit and listen to it! Did you see that R.E.M. went after, was it Fox News? Because Fox News was playing Losing My Religion over their coverage of the Democratic National Convention. Really? You know, because of course they can't just present it without commentary. There's right. got to be some, or like okay. some kind of like, because you're not religious, my gosh. So yeah, Michael, wait, is Michael Stipe from R.E.M.? Yes. I guess he was like, ah, stop it, so. <laughs> I can't remember Michael Stipe. Did R.E.M. break up? Oh, that's what happened. Quite that's recently. What and then other music news, uh, Zoe Keating. What was the news? I was just reading this right before the podcast. Somebody at CBS uh, dubbed her her tracks over what was supposedly just um, PR demos of... Like a screener copies of... Yeah, yeah. screener copies of a new show of theirs, their own Sherlock show. Which they already got strike against them because it seems like it's just a rip off of of Stephen Moffat. I I feel like Sherlock Holmes is maybe getting a little bit worn out. For the, becoming, yeah, this is the third incarnation. Starting to of... look like vampires. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they they used some I'm of her. They used some of her tracks, and uh, you know they. She was a, a bit upset by this because it was leaked and it got distributed a whole ton, and so yeah. CBS was doing the whole. Oh, it was just it was just a screener. We didn't. We were. But. Uh, you know, the fact of the matter is that if you use somebody's work, you need to compensate them for it and license it. Well, she put it out, like, what if I... But somebody in the office is clearly just like, eh, she'll never notice. Yeah. Well, she made the point that, like, if I were, like, if she were to produce a television show and suddenly have a whole bunch of clips from CBS shows... Yeah, it's just like, if I did a music video and I used a bunch of clips from, like, two and a half men, I I wouldn't be able to get away with that. Yeah, I didn't necessarily air it, but I just put out copies of this bootleg thing with all this like unlicensed material just send it out to press agents and people over the country yeah. but you know yeah it's, it's she would get a cease and desist letter in and, a fucking heartbeat. delivered by owl 
Yeah. Oh, <laughs> speaking of Neil Gaiman at the Hugo Awards, did you see, like, I guess the Hugo Awards were being live-streamed. Hmm. And as soon as they showed the nominations for the best, like, presentation, I think it was, like, TV show stuff. That's what Neil Gaiman won with his episode of Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. As soon as, uh... I think they were streaming it over Ustream. As soon as Ustream showed the clips of, you know, the excerpts from the episodes that were being nominated, uh, a robot, you know, software robot, oh, shut down Ustream because it detected the footage as being, yeah, copyrighted. copyrighted stuff. And so the Ustream stuff got shut down. Oh, dear. But then, like, the, the people managing the Ustream couldn't even, like, get the Ustream back up on its feet and, like, the like actual Ustream staff itself could not overwrite this robot. To bring back the stream. These are people like the actual Ustream people, not wow, just like. Skynet is here. Yeah, and so, like, this raised the thing was like, how powerful are these are robots that the people who run Ustream can't even shut these things off when they're shutting, you know. I've heard of this fascinating thing on YouTube Jesus. where people are now pirating content there by putting, a, a, like, a picture frame around the show. Yeah. But what the device there, and then, you know, having the, the central content in the middle of the picture, which kind of confuses the detector oh, robot. That's a good idea. So they just have a. A, a, a still picture of a cat watching an old-fashioned television and then inside the screen of the yeah. television is the show you want to watch but like the extra visual content you feel like a crazy person that's how you're going to ingest your media i know I, that's, it's the sort of thing that's like, great though this is an arms race and oh, somebody has man. managed to make a funny while fooling the the watchers well i saw the footage from the was it the, maybe it was the republican national convention last week was getting shut down all over youtube because what happens is that, like, news agencies will start running, you know, footage from any of these con uh, conventions and start claiming that footage is their own. And so anyone else is, who, who else is uh, running that footage on YouTube gets shut down by robots because, like, all these companies are laying claim to copyright claim to this, like, free footage that is out there. And so it just becomes this Wild West tangled web of... Yeah, copyright robots and no one can... Just all kinds of just... We live in a fascinating uh, time. It's interesting. Shit's gonna change eventually, but yeah. Um, I'm almost done with what I did this week. I just got two more things. I finished the book The Lost City of Z, which I mentioned last week I had just started, but I finished it this week. Uh, it was a very cool book about um this archaeological... This, uh, what, what's the opposite professional? Amateur. Amateur archaeologist Percy Fawcett in his search for El Dorado. Um... He went. He disappeared. He never came back in 1925. He went with his son and his son's best friend. He never came back. It was kind of fucked up. It's a true story. Cool. Aren't you interested? <laughs> I was looking at him like, yes, that is the story you read, Bill. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, no, this is interesting because, uh, yeah, he spent like 20 years of his life searching uh, the Amazon for this lost city. Uh, because I guess, you know, like, like all these legends of people coming to the New World, they would... Go to the new world, come back with all these. We found this crazy cities made of gold and shit like that. Yeah, Which... El Dorado is, is a legend of surprising stamina. Well, it's funny because the legend of El Dorado started off with, like, even even people even back in the day, people thought it was bullshit because uh, it started off with uh, I think a bunch of like yeah conquistadors and a couple monks ran into this guy. Maybe his name was El Dorado, which is a village chief who. Um, he would have other people uh, blow gold dust onto him until he's completely covered with gold for this festival thing. Yeah. And just from that... Somehow that... that got misconstrued that, like... Massive game of telephone. Yeah, where, like, if this guy has so much gold, he can just blow dust onto himself and run around naked with his gold dick hanging out. He must live in a city of gold. Yeah. And that kind of got blown out in proportions, all this stuff. It, well, and, and I guess it was played into the uh, explorer's best interest to say, hey, there's all this gold and shit over there. Yeah. If you give us money to go back for another expedition... And we might out. come back with piles we, we, of we gold. We can't promise anything, but we might be able to find some of that shit. 
And so that's how all these legends start up. And poor schmucks like this Percy Fawcett guy, he believes all this stuff. And it got to the point that, and like, goes he goes out and dies of, you know, dysentery or something. Yeah, and it turns out, like, as he was getting older, he convinced himself that this the El Dorado was, like, maybe a part of Atlantis and all this other oh, shit. Oh, like, Kind of went off the deep end a little bit. Uh, and, like, when he got lost... We shall ride there on unicorns. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it was when his final... This 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 mission, when he uh, got lost, when he never came back in 1925, he was, like, almost 60, so he was older... And so and he couldn't get any, he barely could scrape him up enough cash for this expedition. So, and no one wanted to go with him. So that's why he had to bring his own son and his son's best friend. And no one else it was just these three guys. Mm. And, uh, they, yeah, 1920. Oh, guy time. Yeah. Well, in 1925, these guys go in the force and they just simply never came back out. And no one wow. knows exactly what happened to them. Something made them. Well, the interesting <laughs> thing about this end of this book was that within the last couple of years, it sounds like archaeologists archeolo- have found, what is it? Uh, what he was looking for, El Dorado, uh, wasn't like a big stone-cut city like we would think it would look like. What happened where he was looking for El Dorado, there actually was a sprawling network of interconnected villages built out of organic materials, like thatched huts, muds, logs, and vines and stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, that was wiped out by disease. Yeah, like from like most of the Mayan and Aztec and yeah, and they 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 realized that like this giant like city. I mean, it wasn't like a city, but it was like interconnected. It was like had like thousands and thousands and thousands of people there in the middle of the jungle, but it wasn't kind of the city he was looking for because he was looking for stone ruins, and they they figure that he was actually like he spent his whole life like. Wandering around, and functionally he was what there. was Eldorado. He just didn't realize what he was looking for, because he's, yeah, he's looking for these giant stone ruins, and he's not noticing, like, there's, like, circular moats that have kind of grown over, because well, yeah, all the houses... You know what, Bill? Yeah. This is a metaphor for happiness. Yeah, exactly! Where you're already there, you're just so <laughs> fixated on what, this goal you have in your mind that you've manufactured, you don't take, yeah, you don't, you're... You're taking for granted what's already he there. He had the ruby slippers all along. Exactly. He could have gone back to Kansas any time. <laughs> but that sucks balls. Like, spend, like, your last 20 years of your life obsessed about this thing that you've actually no, that been is, walking that over. that is tragic irony right there. Yeah. And so they think that he just got whacked out by, like, super vicious Indians. Or cause... disease. Well, is it disease? Well, one of his companions, like, the last letter he sent back, because this is the crazy thing that, like, British archaeologists would just hire a shitload of natives to come with them, Mm -hmm. and the way they got dispatches out from the jungle, they would say, here's a letter, run back to civilization, put it in the post office. (laughs) And so you'd have these single guys running through, like, like a hundred miles of jungle just to get back to the the closest city. And so, like, they just ran out of... Guys letter carriers yeah and no one ever saw them again. well his final plan was that he was going to go into the jungle spend a year looking for el dorado once he found it because he just knew it was there it was just a matter of just finding the place and he Obviously. knew he thought he was close which is funny because he was like i said he was standing right on top of it and then he would spend a year documenting this giant city and then he would come out two years later and oh here's all my photographs and notes yeah back, and so back at home years... in time for tea and medals yeah and so it was two years before anyone even thought this end of rescue party because they thought you know, well, they were expected to spend two years not hearing from him because, you know, they ran out of letter runners and stuff like that. So, so it, it got a to while be like for anybody to be like, yeah. I wonder whatever happened to so and so. And so, yeah, it was like three or four years before anyone actually went in there to go start looking for him and no one ever really found anything. Except for, like, I think they found, like, one of his rings and a compass, but no one knows exactly what happened to them specifically. It's a cool little, little spooky little story. Huh. But, yeah, just don't assume that, like, what you're looking for is actually what you think you're looking for. And that's the lesson of today's podcast. <laughs> so yeah, that's the last uh, Lost City of Z. 
a podcast listener, Grumpy Turtle, also pointed out um, Secrets of the Dead documentary on Netflix, which actually tells you everything I just told you. It probably less <laughs> amount of time on a like hour long documentary on uh, yeah on Netflix. And the last thing uh, I was listening to, have you, I gotten you to listen to the JV Club podcast yet? No. Uh, JV Club podcast is a podcast by Janet Varney, the lady who does the voice of Legend of Korra. I've mentioned this podcast on the... Oh, yes. We have we have listened to an episode of it, I believe. It's really cool. I listened to her latest episode this week with Gray Delisle, who's the voice actress who did the voice of Az- Azula? It's Azula? On Legend of Korra. Or uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. And it just kind of realized it kind of... It's interesting to hear about the struggles of people who you only knew through fantasy or kids entertainment. It's especially weird to hear the voices of Cora and Azula talking about money problems, mental issues, rough childhoods, abusive parents, and, like, sick pets. Yeah, like, actual world things. As yeah. Opposed to just like, I don't know if I'll ever figure out how to airbend. Well, especially it's a podcast. You're hearing these voices, <laughs> like, yeah, Cora and Azula, like, yeah, my dog, it's, I had to take him to the vet last week. My health insurance isn't very good. Or you're like, yeah, my, my, my stepdad, you kind of, like, molested me when I was a kid or something like that, which is actually some of the stuff they kind of talk about. Well, that's, that's one of the interesting things for me about comics, because I've, you know, I've been making comics on my own since forever, but when I was a teenager, there were a lot of creators I was just totally blown away by, yeah. a huge fan of, but it's a small enough professional community, and people are just happy enough that you have showed up and that you're competent, yeah. that it, it's really not, or at least with the kind of comics I like, those creators are actually really accessible, so I'm I'm friends now, or you know, friendly acquaintances with a lot of the people whose work I've really admired, yeah. and so it, it's that strange transition from being like, oh my god, daisies grow beneath your feet, to being like, oh, oh you're just another human bird, yeah. Your plates don't match here in your kitchen. Yeah, <laughs> airline lost your luggage to the same convention that I got lost yeah, my luggage that at. That is simultaneously yeah. like heartening and reassuring, but you're also like, oh my god, yeah. nobody has it figured out. <laughs> That's the oldest story in the world. I meet a few famous person. They're actually just a normal human being. But yeah, like, like especially with this, with being like kids' cartoon voices. Yeah, like hearing them talk about like it's just yeah. It'd be like hearing Bugs Bunny talk about marital problems. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, it's whoa. especially interesting on this JV Club podcast. Uh, yeah, just Google JV Club, JV Club podcast. Uh, and she spends almost all of her t- time talking to uh, women. Industry people. Yeah, we listened to her interview with was it Maria Bamford? Yeah, she did Maria Bamford. Well, that is all just talking about mental I, issues. And I would stuff listen like that. to Maria Bamford sneezing. Um, so. she's interviewed all the ladies from Community, like Allison Brie and, and and all those guys too. And it's just interesting just to hear what it takes just to be like 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 a female comedian, be a woman in showbiz. Yeah, woman in show business, and just like because well, she like rather than talking about the showbiz angle of stuff they t- they talk about their upbringing and how they got into the business more or less too so yeah. it's not just like oh who's your agent what projects are you working on uh, this this episode with gray delisle she um janet varney actually has a huge thing at the beginning where she's like i'm so sorry we do not actually really talk about legend of horror or avatar or anything like that uh because we just got wrapped up and because she tries to put an hour-long limit on these podcasts so they don't go on forever and Unlike so, this podcast. But yeah, she has to, like, you know, there's kind of some kind of sexually weird stuff in here, so if you're, like, under 13, you may want to skip this episode and stuff like that. But it's very cool to, like, you know, to actually interview, like, professional ladies and actually have very honest, open conversations about, like, yeah, sexuality, growing up, money issues, like, mental issues. That's, 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 that's very that's really cool to cool. see, and I don't see anything else like that on podcasts right Man, now. Whenever anybody's like, so what's it like to be a woman in comics? I'm like, it... 
It's just it doesn't matter. Like a, ask just... a woman who's part of the entertainment industry where what her body looks like is endlessly scrutinized yeah. and is how she gets a job or doesn't get a job. Like I'm fine. My name is Dylan, and you don't have to see my face to like my work. Yeah. Like this is not a big deal for me. But man, for, like for women in comedy, there's just so much. Yeah, that's a real uphill climb. So much and... that you have to deal with. Yeah, and like yeah, actresses and just ugh, it's just. It is really cute, though, because Great Delisle, she talks about how her, it's not her son, I think it's one of her son's friends, uh, they start talking about gender politics and gender identity stuff, and they start, and she talks about how her son's friend just likes to wear a dress. He's like, tw- he's like, like nine or ten, but he mm-hmm. just likes to wear dresses. Yeah, there's a great, uh, there was a great New York Times Magazine article in the last few weeks, um, particularly about boys who just like wearing girl clothing or yeah that, you know, that's what this kid who, is who don't necessarily feel like they are a girl or like they are differently gendered they yeah they just, just don't see the borders yeah they're just like i feel like wearing a dress i don't see what the problem is if somebody thinks i'm gay that's their problem yeah. uh, that sort of thing is cool because man girls get to wear the girls get a lot more potential variety in their self-expression yeah boys really still have much more strict expectations of what is acceptable or not acceptable. Yeah. Uh, this this anecdote that Grey Delisle talks about, she talks about how this kid, uh, they she took uh, her son and this kid out to the park and there were some older boys playing there and she's like, well, you might want to be careful of those guys just because you might not understand a boy wearing a dress. They might not understand how cool you are. Yeah, and she's yeah, she's trying to like, man, not they not... may be dumb. <laughs> and so the kid, like, he's like, no, don't worry, it's, it's cool. And so when he walks past those guys, he just st- stuffs the, you know, the dress into, it, like, I guess he was still wearing pants, he just had a dress over it. Yeah. And so he just, so it looks like a shirt, and as soon as he walks past him, he just knows to untuck it, and then he goes off skateboarding or something like that. <laughs> just So he knows enough to cool. skirt around other guys about it, but he still wants to wear a dress, and it's not that he's ashamed of it, but yeah. he just knows, like, He's not gonna to, let it bug him. He's gonna take the road to least resistance with other people, but yeah, I think it was just kind of very cool little anecdote. Yeah, in the middle of this podcast where it's just, yeah, two uh, Avatar people just shooting the shit. I thought that oh, was super cool. That's neat. But, uh, yeah, J- uh, AV, uh, JV Club, I suggest people listen to it. All right, so, I will. Yeah, so that's uh, that's what we did this week. Uh, we're going to take a little break, and we'll come back with uh, a very short Geek Week in the Review. It was super quiet this week. Not much to talk about. Chirp, chirp. La ciudad se llama Nuevo México, el estado. Entre la gente mafiosa, su fama se ha propagado. Causa de una nueva droga que los gringos han creado. Oh, the Aqua. Tell us about the Aqua Week. Nope. Dylan went to a party. Never speak of that. I will talk about it. Dylan went to the party for the first time in Dylan's life. (laughs) She, She, yeah. Dylan had a happy time. What was the stuff called? It's called Aquavit. It is. Uh, that sounds like an aftershave. It's Danish lighter fluid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, Dylan doesn't drink that much or ever get sick, but this is the first time. Yeah, part know. of the problem is that it's it's served in very small quantities. Yeah. But it it, it part of this traditional Swedish Danish shrimp party is that you, you... the shrimp party kind well, of cracks it, me up. Yeah, it's crawfish technically. Yeah, but... whatever. Any kind of like seafood. Like yeah, that. but there are regular little intervals where you stop and you sing a song and then you drink another little tiny fairy glass. Yeah. And you're like, I haven't had that much to drink. We're doing this at a tiny little fair. Well, it turns out it's like 1,000% alcohol. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Every shot's like two shots or three shots. I yeah. can scratch that 
experience off my bucket list. God, that was like three weeks ago, too. So you're oh. st- if you're still feeling a little bit like ragged from that, damn. Yeah. No. Mm. <laughs> so anyway, this is the Geek Week Review. This is where we talk about just the sh- shit that's going on in pop culture right now. Yeah, yeah there's not much to talk about because it got really quiet. Uh, actually, weekend. Back to school weekend. Uh, yeah, you know, that's probably more than anything else, man. Fuck those kids that go back to school. Uh, I just want to dance. I, I used to hate this part of the I live near so high much. school and we'll get to drive past it in the morning right when they all have to lug their carcasses into yeah. school because for some reason the American public school system thinks that high schoolers should start school earlier than any other age when in fact high school should start I mean, at, at 10 a.m. to match teenagers' sleep schedule and should get out at 5 or 7 o'clock. Anyway, I watched, I watched them all straggling into school and my automatic reaction is, I loved school. I was always excited oh, to go yeah, back to school. Know, My birthday is when school starts. You get school supplies. You get new classes. Well, like, the fact that you get excited about school supplies, yeah. Oh, man. I love it. I love starting you school. You were a good student. You were I a good missed, kid. Oh, yeah. I was a straight A. Straight A student, believe you me. Uh, but uh, there's something just about watching them struggling. and I'm just like, <laughs> suckers. I'm going to work at my comic book studio. Why have to worry about like, paying a mortgage or like getting health insurance? Do you have to worry about going to fucking school? You yeah. don't have anything to worry about other than having to wake up early to go to school in the morning. Well, yeah. high schoolers have plenty of genuine problems, but... No, I don't! It's not like they're growing pubes and having sexual issues. What are you talking about? That's like college or maybe middle age for most people. Right. What are you talking about? Everyone's adolescents were always a good uh, time. So, this is a bit of what, news that I meant... To, what? What was the big news coming out of PAX last week? Up in Seattle. Other than sexual shit? Oh, nasty, yeah. like... We can talk about that later. Other than some dude being a creep and some other dude not responding strongly enough. yeah so well I, I guess we can talk about it uh so what happened was their uh notch the creator of minecraft he threw an off party uh an off-site party for uh, minecraft um at pax it was like late at night after pax had actually properly shut down and stuff at some kind of warehouse or something like that and so i guess what happened was there was a girl there um thank god there's girls who still even want to go to pax jesus uh, this girl was like kind of just sitting by herself, I think, playing with her phone or something like that. Some Asian guy walks up to her. The only reason I even mentioned Asian is people are still trying to figure out who this guy was. I can't imagine there were a ton of Asian people there. I don't know. It's still a minority. Not that we should persecute all Asian people. <laughs> all right, Pax. Well, before you go I'm just, into I'm the just death saying, Asian, If you're an Asian guy at Pax, you should feel bad about yourself. Is all I'm saying. All right, I'm gonna rescue you from this line. <laughs> no, no, no. That. So anyway, yeah. So this guy comes up to her. This and, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this dude. He's all like, "Hey, baby, what's up? Like, what you looking at? Like, what you reading? Or whatever. Like, you know, he's trying yeah. to get it. You know, start a conversation with her. And so she's ignoring him. Just whatever. And so he uh, grabs her hand and places it on his crotch. And she's like, oh, what the fuck's wrong with you? And the guy's like, so obviously this guy's like drunk and an asshole. Yeah. Because then he also like unzips his pants and whips his dick out. And he's like, well, I, I get, what happens is I guess that he gets upset because he's like, well, you, I'm Asian. You think I got a small dick because I'm Asian. I'll show you my dick. And he, you know, whips his dick out. And she's like, what the fuck? And so she runs away and uh, tries to uh, get the attention of a bouncer to kick this guy out. And the bouncer's like, oh, what do you want me to do? And so she just leaves and comes home and, and, and blogs about it. And everyone's like, what the fuck? Yeah. That's really the big news to come out of PAX, unfortunately. No, no no exciting game developments. I know, like, Scott Kurtz had some big announcements because he's doing a collaboration with Wizards of the Coast. Is he? I don't know anything about Scott Kurtz except he's fat. I'm fat, so we are bros. Congratulations, Phil. Um, Penny Arcade Kickstarter's considered a failure, I guess. I don't know. 
Uh, the, the only other thing that I know that came out of PAX they, they was... They raised, like, half a million dollars. Well, they started the thing, which is interesting, because PAX, this year, they started uh, actually streaming a lot of their panels live yeah. on the internet, so if you're not there, you can just watch you it online. still enjoy. And the, one of the panels... Did attendance dive, or...? No, no, attendance. The reason they started streaming stuff is they're trying to make this stuff... Ex they're trying to appease all the bazillion people who, who can't fit into the convention center, because yeah. this year they sold out of tickets within three days of the tickets going live. In the wow, past, Comic it's Con taken... Style. Yeah, exactly. That's what it's turning into. Last year, tickets didn't sell out until, like, maybe a month before the convention. There was, like, two or three months you could buy a ticket. This year, it was three days. So they're not worried about cutting into attendance. If anything, they're trying to relieve the demand for tickets by... Part of the reason is, like, oh, okay, we can stream as many panels as possible. And so one of the panels these uh, were streaming were Robert Kuhn's panel. He's uh, the business manager at mm -hmm. Penny Arcade. He's essentially the head honcho there. Yeah, he's the number. And uh, it's it, he had an hour long panel, which turned into like it was ninety minutes or two hours instead, where like the f whole first like half hour was just him just talking about the Kickstarter, and it was interesting because like like even he kind of like made it sound like he understands that like it's kind of perceived that the Kickstarter Penny Arcade Kickstarter was kind of a failure failure. Even though they still managed to make, like, I think they raised, like, a quarter of a million dollars? Oh, more than that, sir. That was their baseline <laughs> Maybe goal. it was half a million. I would think it was around half a million. They had stretch goals going all the way up to, like, two million dollars. Right. And uh, let's put it this way. They did not make enough money to actually take all the ads off the front page, which yeah, was the original goal. No, it took, like, one goal. big ad, ad later board. One they're, going to, they're going to do the strip search TV show where they're going to add a, but a sounds... show to PAX TV. Where yeah, they, which is not It's a like a reality idea. show with cartoonists competing. Uh, but that was actually the, kind of the state of Penny Arcade. His his little uh, panel that was actually the most interesting thing, that like kind of conceding that like they misunderstood the demand for people for there not to be want any ads on on Kickstarter. He understood that like okay in the in the future, he makes it sound like they really people, are going to do another Kickstarter, but it's not going to be about ads. It'll well, be for people funding want a thing or a project. Like I think I think there won't be an ad that you already ignore is maybe not yeah. enough motivation like and that sounds like what in the future he, they, they might be targeted towards like creating like maybe yeah kickstarter or another like tv show at pax or something mm -hmm. like that rather than just like well we're gonna take away something you really don't even care about anyway <laughs> yeah. you know something you totally don't mind yeah although i still don't understand why they would continue to do kickstarter stuff if they're not if it's just a like an annual service thing because kickstarter whether whether robert Koo wants to admit it or not kickstarter is for projects that you will get something out of, more or less. Some people just donate to stuff without ex expecting anything in return or anything like that. But more or less, Kickstarter is for, like, here's... Help, help gonna, me do this thing. Yeah, that help I'm going to create. Thing. It's essentially a giant pre-order system, for more or less. And you can, you know, donate extra money on top of whatever you're donating yeah, to I get would, your pre-order I, I think some people use it like a pre-order system. I think, I think more, more people than not probably do actually use it as a pre-order system. Basically, but the show, but there's still tons of projects on there that are like, hey, help us build a community garden. Oh you know, yeah, that sort of thing. As someone who has not run a successful Kickstarter, I'm going to tell you what it takes. <laughs> <laughs> takes tell you this person who has raised a successful Kickstarter. No, uh, it's it's I don't know. It's politics are a little weird, but yeah, Robert Cruz still a cool cool guy. It's just the idea that he thinks he can just use Kickstarter as a fundraising thing. Mm -hmm. Because he keeps on comparing kick, like the Penny Arcade Kickstarter to an NPR fundraiser, fund drive. Mm -hmm. Which it's not the same thing because Penny like NPR is like nonprofit service well, thing. And the fund which... drives are are embedded in their service too. They say, Hey guys, we're not gonna go back to fresh air because we need to talk to you about how we desperately need you to call and send us money. We only do this twice a year. Yeah. 
And the fact that he's chosen Kickstarter, which, like, the revolutionary thing about that is that, like, it's got this tiered, you get something back system. Uh-huh. If they're going to keep on running an annual fundraiser where they're not really set up to give anything back, like, they'll do things like the TV show or, like, videotape Mike and Jerry running after a bunch of ducks while reciting the names of people who donated. They can do that. But it's not really, like... It seemed like it was a, it was a worthy experiment that yeah. maybe in the next iteration they will... Yeah, I'd be curious to, to see how they... to better match the... God help me, I'm about to say this. The Kickstarter energy. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they recalibrate. And the rest of the panel was fantastic where he was just talking about... I can't remember any specifics from it, but just the ins and outs of how Penny Arcaders run. Well, he's talking about how... Uh, going back to Sean, uh, Sean Baker, uh, friend of the podcast from Australia, uh, the new... Uh, they're going to actually have a new PAX that takes place in Australia next year. Hmm. Sounds like it may be taking place at the same time or roughly around the same time as PAX Prime next year. I know that Australia has a big gaming culture. Yeah, but they're kind of raped up the butt. I'm going to use that word raped because that's completely appropriate. Speaking of video games. Well, t- speaking of video games, yeah, exactly. It gets dick-wolved up the butt. Oh. Uh, no, but, like, it's, it's weird because, like, yeah, Australia has a really thriving video game community, but no one really services them. It's usually, you know, like, you know, Japan, America... And Europe, and it's kind of cool that they're actually servicing this whole. Yeah, other Australia part of just the... gets the UK ports of everything. Yeah, and also like the, for whatever reason, games that are like phenomenally expensive. I guess the Australian dollar and the American dollar are roughly kind of similar, but despite the fact the exchange rate being similar, games down there are like two to three times more expensive. Well, they they have to be shipped all well, the ship way stuff. over there. But still, it's like. Games here will be 60 bucks. They could be like 150 over there. Mm-hmm. That's still a little... That's a steep fucking price to pay for bullshit. I wonder if it's partially a tariff issue. It may be. And I know like a lot of games and media get censored down there. Like that's super like crazy like censorship shit going on down there too. So even the games when they do pay $150 for an Xbox game... Like, it could, like, the content could be radically different just because shit got, you like... You try to play Grand Theft Auto and it's just Tetris. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of like, ripping people out of their cars, you're just giving them flowers. <laughs> I'm like, great, I paid 150 bucks for this Have version. Have a stick of... of gum! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that's... I can't remember anything's, like... I don't know, Penny Arcade... Well, the reason why there wasn't too much groundbreaking news coming out of Penny Arcade this year, too, is because this is the last year of this console cycle. New video game consoles won't be coming out until next year. Which is hilarious to say, yeah, say that, because there actually is a new video game console coming out this year from Nintendo, but... Nobody cares. No one cares. But there's not going to be a new Xbox or PlayStation so until game, next year. So game development is winding down for this generation of Yeah, consoles. and so a lot of the best stuff at Penny Arcade this year was, like, indie games, which is great, because, well, half of those are on PC or Steam or yeah, stuff so like that. Yeah, so you can play on a So desktop. there wasn't, yeah, too many crazy announcements from, like, any of the major developers or publishers or anything like that, but, like... There was a big uh, demonstration of Johann Sebastian Joust, which uses these uh, PlayStation motion controls and uh, stereophonic headsets. And so the idea is, like, you're trying to... I, I don't know what exactly you're trying to do, but you're trying to coordinate yourself with a whole bunch of other people also wearing wireless headsets, like, trying to figure out something about sound in space. Interesting. It's all kind of program. You're trying to figure out, where, like, collectively figure out, like, where the sound is. And I can't remember exactly how that works, but it is kind of like a social thing. But it's still using, like, PlayStation hardware. But yeah, it's, not a, it's not even an official game for the PlayStation 3. It just uses this, like, like kind of Wiimote kind of just technology. Uses the technology. And, uh, yeah, that was the more That's interesting really cool. game stuff to come out of PAX. But, even though, you know, just kind of That's more... the kind of game stuff I'm more interested in, too. Games that are focused on narrative 
Yeah. And games that are focused on, like, an interesting collective experience or a tweak of what is gaming. Yeah. So, yeah, from that point I, of view. I suck at shooting things. Yeah. <laughs> Mo- yeah, most people, man. And that era run, game. Jump over the thing. Slap the button. Go through the portal. That era, that oh, era, ga- that era gaming is kind of winding down a little bit. Not that it's going away, but, like. Yeah. Yeah. You should be happy that I like, look forward to the more gaming game- industry is catering more towards you. And oh, stuff. Yeah, I look forward to more games that are basically interactive film novels. Have you played Dear Esther yet? I have. I enjoyed it very much. I still I bought that. I still haven't played it yet. Um, you might. Oh no, you wouldn't. The the voiceover actors work in particular is very lovely. Did we tell you about Analog a Hate Story? Yes. This is a game Annie found about I'm, like a whole. I'm going to play that one. That talk about fucked up sexual politics. That's that. That'll be interesting. Ugh. But no, I've I've enjoyed Portal. You know girl stuff which is funny because that's still technically it's a first person shooter but it's not yeah but it's not one it's one whose conceit is simple yet brilliant yeah and it doesn't require too much like crazy dexterous timing some puzzles do but it's not yeah, like... but for the most part, it's just it's thinking around corners. Yeah, not any. You don't have to be any more kind of a badass with a controller than you would be if you're playing Super Mario. Bros. Yeah, it's not. It's not intensely reflex dependent. Like you figure out you, the main yeah, challenge exactly, is yeah. figuring out what the trick is, and then just doing it a few times until you nail it. Yeah. Oh, one of the better panels that I saw being streamed too was uh, the guys from Valve, the guys who make Portal, just talking mm-hmm. about like how they write stories and stuff, and the creation of just. Like, again, I don't remember anything specific from the conversation, but when you have the guys from Portal just talking about story and character development, mm-hmm. just shooting the shit and... The sense of humor. It's quick, because, like, yeah. they talk at, like, people from the audience are like, okay, what games do you like? And they're like, man, we really don't like a lot of games. We think a lot, most games are bullshit. <laughs> they almost sound like you, where it's like, yeah. I appreciate they exist. I don't, I'm not begrudging anyone <laughs> who likes any most, like, big shooters or anything like that. But, like, fuck that shit. I yeah. just want do I just want to be entertained. I don't want to have to prove to anybody how macho I am or anything yeah, like that when is, I'm playing a video game. This is not about setting a record. It's about an enjoyable experience. Yeah. yeah. So those yeah, it's a Eric Wolpaw and those yeah, guys. But I'm, seem always, pretty cool. I'm always baffled when I hear you or any other of my more serious gamer friends talking about like, oh man, that game was such a grind. I spent forty hours just killing swamp rats. I'm like well, that sounds like a, a, that sounds like a job. At that point, also, it just depends on how well they dress up the killing the swamp rats to how like oh, there's well, I killed like ten golden swamp rats well, yeah, and but, got a golden. But the point know. where it's just where it's all compulsive. But that's 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 what so much of gaming is built on. Yeah, still even these days. But I don't days. like that feeling of being the rat in the Skinner box who's just like yeah, I have to press this lever seventy two um, times yeah, in the exact a lot right of rhythm, it is, and then I'll get a single pellet. Yeah, a lot like, of it is just how well the designers like cover that up. No thanks. Yeah. Just dress it up so you don't feel like. Well, it's just funny because, like, yeah, that's funny that you would say that. But a game like Portal, you are in a Skinner box, almost literally in a Skinner box. It's a self-aware. I know exactly. Yeah, that's the funny thing you would say that. Yeah. you don't have to jump through so many hoops to get the satisfaction of solving the puzzle. You do have to literally at least jump through two hoops per stage. I know, but waka waka waka. The the puzzles are are discrete units. Oh, I know. I'm just fucking with you. Literally discrete units in that you walk through a door and it's like puzzle number two. Yeah. Puzzle number three. That's fun. Yeah. It's, it's playing with the form, Bill. Okay, and speaking of games and sexual harassment, woo, can't stop talking about this. Everybody loves it. Uh, Brett Wardell, founder and owner of Stardock, which is a uh, game that makes PC, like, like real-time strategy games, like space exploration trading uh, games. Um, he is suing Stardock's ex-PR manager for for allegedly fucking up the reception of one of their games two years ago. 
uh, when she left the company three weeks before the game came to market, uh, supposedly the reason why, well, I shouldn't even say supposedly, this seems like this is legitimately the reason why she left the company three weeks before this game came to market is because this Brad Wardell guy is a creep and was putting his hands on her, talking about her tits all the time, yeah. touching her hair at, like, dinner meetings and yeah. stuff. Like, really creeper stuff. And uh, he's alleging all this shit is bullshit, but uh, emails have come out between Brad Wardell and this lady in question where he's all like, I can do whatever I want. I own the company. Like, I feel bad if you feel offended, but I gotta be who I am yeah. if I'm gonna be who and I who am. who I am is a super creep. And it's just like, th- that is confirmed. Those are his emails. And so even if for some reason it comes out like he didn't sexually harass this lady, if that somehow gets confirmed in court, which doesn't sound like that's gonna happen, but like, well, th- those emails alone... Those email excerpts just meant, man, I am glad I've never brought, brought any of that cocksucker in the motherfucking games. So yeah. fuck that guy. I mean, granted, it's all PC stuff. I own a Mac. It's not like I had that many opportunities to buy Stardock games. But fuck that guy. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Gross. Yeah. Yeah. Living by the skin of his teeth. Now he just sank his whole career. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. <laughs> so at least I appreciate the fact the gaming industry has enough of a conscience that, like, that guy's career will probably get fucked up by this. Oh, one can hope. There's a lot of creepy dudes who play games or are in the gaming industry, but there's a whole still a whole lot of people who will like who will see us a story like that and go, ah, fuck that guy, I'm gonna yeah. buy his game. Gross. So speaking of the video game industry, man, a lot of video game talk for podcasts with Dylan, who does not play games very often. No, I'm I'm gamer adjacent. No, yeah, I, no, I know you're gamer friendly. I know all the things that are happening in the video game world. You're the you're you're the Captain Jack Harkness to my Doctor Who. Where you're not like hanging out all the time, but you're friendly to show up and say, "Hey, what's up? Let's have yeah. a beer." I'll be like, "Yeah, River Song. What's up with that?" Yeah, what's up with that? That was a fucked up story. Who gives a shit who she is? Yeah. You see her titties yet? I don't know. I didn't see her titties. Next. Next. I one thing I will always appreciate about River Song is the fact that they made uh, a lady who's like ninety hot or whatever. She's, she's not, not like ninety. She's like fifty. Yeah, she's mature. She's mature. Yeah, exactly. And I appreciate the fact that she's that lady's a good yeah, actress. She is sexy too. Yeah, she is. She's hot and badass. It's just a little too much. She's yeah, not. Too, she's not nineteen. River Song is like the world's most delicious steak salt. That like with the last last season of Doctor Who, they just actually unscrewed the top and you just dump the whole thing on. Where it's like, <laughs> man, I love steak salt, but I can't just eat steak salt for dinner. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, video games in general turned forty last week. Uh, last week was the fortieth anniversary of the Magnavox Odyssey, the world's first video wow. game console invented by Ralph Baer in nineteen seventy. Well, he invented the Magnavox Odyssey a couple of years beforehand, but it did not come out. To market until 1972. Interesting. Yeah, and that guy's still alive. The guy who quote unquote invented video games is still out it's there. Very young medium. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, right before the podcast started, uh, I saw somebody post on Twitter. This is true. Video games is the rare uh, medium out there where all the original creators are out there, pretty much all still alive. Yep. A lot of them are old and about to be dead in the next five years, but yeah. So, video games. I like you. Uh, speaking of Valve, going back to one last video game thing. Uh, Valve is making hardware. This, you know, Valve being the creator's portal. Uh, they admitted as much. No one knows if they're going to be making some kind of, like, Valve-labeled gaming PC, which a lot of people were, were expecting and hoping for, which the idea that, like, instead of having to build your own PC... Yeah, you could just buy a gaming rig. Yeah, exactly. And they, they would be Valve-certified and put together and rated, and maybe, like, they would even have a rating for their own games where, like... This game will run on the RPC like this well and stuff like that, but they haven't specifically said if that's what it's going to be or if they're just like coming out with a new kind of like mouse and keyboard interface or something like that. Hmm. But yeah, they're not just making software anymore, so that'll be interesting to see what they do. That's cool. Whatever I still need to buy a controller. 
I, I don't have a controller. controller. I have like a fake Super Nintendo controller so I can play yeah. ROMs. But yeah, I don't have. I like... have a touchpad. <laughs> I know. Well, that's well, that's like like I have a Mac, so there's not that many games that require a game pad. Yeah. Out on the Mac. No, it's just sometimes you don't want to hold down three keys well, yeah. to move forward. Playing Portal would be nice with a game pad. Yeah. After a while, you can still get through a decent amount of Portal, like doing the WASD. Well, you have, do you have a separate mouse? Nope. See, that's and like a lot of ma- most games, even on the Mac, require two buttons with yeah. the like the mouse. Like, you need you need to get like a dual button mouse from like Razer or something like that because even like Apple's official mouse only has like one button on it so oh. I have, like you can't play World of Warcraft with any ha- Apple heart like a- like an Apple yeah because Steve Jobs is a was a crazy person yeah you have to say was because he's dead uh, I've, so I've heard oh I guess next week they're gonna be announcing like new iPads and shit oh, you see that Amazon just announced like a new Kindle Fire like $200 yeah. little baby Kindle phone. I know there are a bunch of new tablets supposed to be coming out in the next year. People are predicting this may be the fall that tablets actually become reasonably, vaguely affordable for people. Rather than being like, oh, $500 for an iPad. Now you can get uh, like a color backlit tablet for $200. I still, uh, I, I'm still hold out on They're the still... e-reader tablet score. Well, you're not a big fan of e-reading books. You like real books. I do. Yeah, I like something that. that I can read in the bath without fear of death. <laughs> <laughs> I saw, well, I guess... Either of me or of the tablet. Well, I guess the Amazon, aside from, like, the backlit Kindle Fire, they do have a new Kindle, which is... I guess it has a... Called, it's called, like, what, the Paper White, which has a higher contrast. It's supposed to actually look more like actual paper. Oh, as opposed to the Kindle where it's kind of, like, pencil tone. Yeah, it's kind of looks like... Colored. Yeah, this is supposed to look, actually... It's got a white backing instead of just kind of being, like, three different shades of gray. Yeah. It doesn't look like a Game Boy anymore. Now, the funny thing about Kindles, I know more people in my parents' generation who own Kindles than people in in mine. Well, I think the people your generation are probably reading on the iPad or just read real fucking books. Yeah. I think Kindles were like more of a fun toy for older people. Yeah. yeah. It's just interesting that most of the people I know who are really just like in love with their e-reader are going to be typically women in their like 40s through 60s. Yeah, my parents own a Kindle, but they don't own a tablet. You yeah. Know. It's interesting. Well, I guess it's also new like that the e, like the black and white uh, Kindle from Amazon also comes with, like, a top light. Not like, it's not that it's backlit, but it has a light, so it's kind of like, you know, how you put a light on your book. Huh. So it just shines on the screen, too, so you can read it in bed at night. Which but then is, is the screen nice. completely matte? Because wouldn't it just create I don't know, it a must glare? be, no, uh, from what I've seen from older Kindles, the screen's matte, too. It's not like a glossy, like, iPad no, glass surface. No, but it's still surface. reflective. No, it's still kind of, it's like, yeah, no, it's, eh, I don't know. This is a really interesting discussion to have on a podcast. <laughs> Next. Oh, God. Uh, who's the guy playing Worf in Star Trek? Michael Dorn. Michael Dorn. He's campaigning for there to be a Worf TV show now. I'd watch Much it. like uh, Sulu tried to do, George Takei. Right. For the longest time, he was trying to petition Paramount. The problem is that Sulu's not interesting enough. I know. I Whereas Worf, Worf existed on two different TV shows over 14 years. Yeah, like, he's got a lot of backstory. There's still a there mine. there. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he, he, wants to, he, he wants to petition um, Paramount to, yeah, essentially just do, like, Captain Worf. TV Aww, show. I would watch the crap out but of But it's that. one of those things where Paramount's so wrapped up in the J.J. Abrams live action shit. Yeah, no, nothing, shit nothing's that, like, gonna happen on the TV front until that, that one's exhausted. Unless they make really static plans for supposedly what will be the next, like, the third and last J.J. Abrams movie. Yeah. I could see them maybe, like, making plans then once that kind of gets more sense Still feel like the J.J. Abrams is, uh, Star Trek for Star Wars fans. Yeah, well, it kind of is. I still like that last movie. Oh, I sure. People it was, hate it. it. It was fun. It just it didn't really feel like a Star Trek movie to me. Yeah, 
it felt like it like closer to like the original series to me. I was a little confused because I was like, "This is a cool kids movie. Cool kids don't like Star Trek." I know that's the it's yeah really weird like, badass action why scenes. Why is Zoe Saldana here? Why is there confident filmmaking in this? Why Trek? is there a budget? Why is there an you actual legitimately hot lady under the age of thirty in this movie? You know what I realized no. that I had not actually noticed the guy who played Picard's clone in in Nemesis. Tom Hardy. Yeah. How did I not know that? If you listen to the Boy Howdy podcast, I think I pretty think because Andy brings up Tom Hardy every week, and because I have to be an asshole, I, just, I have to bring up Star Trek. I just like, get that. No, section. he was a Star Trek. It's because yeah. the internet never stops talking about Tom I Hardy. Care. I hear his name. I'm just like skip two minutes ahead. But it was skinny young Tom Hardy too. Yeah, you know he was back when he was just like big lipped, like hello. Oh, that was I'm a weird thing. It's like Picard. I'm sorry, young Picard was neither bald nor sexy. Well, that's what. Did you ever see the Harriest Plinkett review? Of what? Which one was that? First Contact? No, Insurrection. No, Nemesis. Well, Nemesis. Yeah. Did we already say this? I already did. Oh, whiskey's kicking. Well, not even whiskey. The rum's kicking in. Uh-huh. Uh But yeah, that's one of the things he points out. Like, you see on Star Trek: The Next Generation that like Picard still had hair when he was older. It's yeah, not when... like he just like went bald when he was seventeen, like Charlie Brown. No, when he gets stabbed by that Nazican, he has hair. Yeah, he's like, got a full head of hair and like. <laughs> Nerd. Yeah, and Harrius, well, this is Harrius Blinken points out, this is like, like, if you were to, like, have a clone of Abraham Lincoln, who's, like, 12. And he had a beard. And he had a beard and a top hat, just because you, like you think the audience would be too stupid yeah. to, uh, yeah, exactly, be too stupid to understand, yeah. It's just, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I mean, this, this Worf TV show is never gonna happen, because, like, even if he has to wait another five years to do it, he's gonna be, like, 60 by the time this Worf TV show. And why not? Although, then again, if he's, like, if it's an older... Him? Then you could actually have... Well, I forgot the Worf Klingons age slower than humans. So you could do the thing where this takes... They age awesome. But, like, you could do the thing where, like, this takes place, like, decades beyond Next Generation. So you get also, like, kind of, like... Another kind of like you know how next Do generation leaped. Do Klingons really live longer than humans? I thought they I thought they were roughly equivalent. With <sighs> no, high, because with a pretty high mortality rate. No, because on Deep Space Nine you've got Klingons who were around from the original. Because there's once or twice where Dax she has Klingon friends who were actually characters from the original series. Really? Like seventy years earlier. I mean, they're old men. I mm, I thought that. So they're at least like a hundred years old. I don't know. Man. But they're still running around. I mean, that is part. Like, there's the we'll they, check that they out. have to go out and kill the albino. I'll, I'll have to Google Klingon life. Yes, yeah, because yeah, the Dax. I mean, <laughs> they're probably not as long lived as Vulcans. We're like right. you know, fucking Spock's been around for like three hundred years now. But like, yeah, no, like there's yeah, like Dax's buddies. There's a couple episodes with Dax's like Klingon buddies. Two point four three seven years precisely. Or doctor, something like that. In yeah. Your years. <laughs> Sorry, I had to listen to that line in Journey to Babel at Trek in the Park so much that I have the number memorized that Sarek says. Oh my god. But I'm just saying, you could do like a leap forward. Maybe not like another 70 years, but maybe another 30 or 40 years. So you can at least get to see like what the next Enterprise looks like. I'm just saying I would watch a show about Grandpa Worf. Grandpa Worf? Just Grandpa Worf Adventures. It's just him complaining about stuff. Mm -hmm. About the price of, uh, what's... What's Gach. the worms? Gah, yeah. This rock to Gino is bullshit back in my day. <laughs> and how would you, like, you'd have to have Dax show up and, like, kind of like a... Esri. Man. Boo. No. Boo. God damn, that makes me so... Oh, fucking Christ. Moving on. That was a total flashback. Sorry to anyone who's never watched Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Um, Painful memories. A lot, what, two more items. Uh, Will Arnett and Amy Poehler are getting a divorce. Oh, that's There's really no God. Yeah. They have not announced exactly why this is happening. They, I guess they were together for the better part of a decade. They yeah. have two kids. Yeah. 
I'm sorry to hear because I, I enjoy both of their work. And it's always it's always sad to know that somebody whose work you enjoy is going through a presumably yeah. tough time. People who have no joy in their hearts have commented that they must be breaking up because they finally got to see each other's shitty shows. No, their shows are Oh, great. to be fair, Will Arnett had a terrible show that came on after Amy Poehler's Parks and Recreation what, up last all night? year. I like Up All Night. Did you? I saw a couple clips. I did not. I was not impressed. No, it's actually it's pretty fun. Yeah. Well, because sometimes it. I'd be watching Parks and Recreation. And, you know, I do that thing where I just eat gravy out of a bowl in my chest. Right. That's and I, not it would spill, and I'd be, do. like, wiping up with my hands and licking it off my fingers right. while uh, Up All Night came on. Uh, so I'd watch some of it. No, no, I, I actually enjoy it. It's a sweet comedy. Yeah. It broke up their divorce. Their marriage. <laughs> well, this drama is so good. I, you know, I'm, I'm amazed Woo! that anybody can, like, any actor can stay married to any other actor. Because if, if you experience success... Yeah. Like, the taping schedules are just brutal. You might be on opposite coasts. And if only one of you experiences success, then there's got to be a lot of, of, like, frustration. And I just, I can't imagine, like, being the emotional difficulties of being a couple and both of you, like, spearheading television shows at the same time with kids unless somebody Holy was cheating on the other i would imagine that's probably what it is because both of them they've been m- married to each other for the entirety that wi- anyone's ever really known who will arnett or amy poehler is yeah ever since she was on saturday night live and ever since she got parks and recreation recreation became a big thing and ever since in like in the last decade that's when you know a decade ago that like a will arnett was doing uh um arrested development yeah and so, yeah, well, they got I mean, married before they were both, like, super famous, and now they're getting knows. divorced at when they're at the height of their powers. Well, but that's a whole lot of stress. Like, like who knows No, that's why. what I'm saying. That's I'm agreeing with you. I, totally, I think that's, that's... That's totally their private deal. But, like, uh, Jane Kaczmarek and Bradley Whitford. Um, Jane Kaczmarek was a Malcolm in the Middle. She was yeah. a mom. And Bradley Whitford was Josh Lyman on the West Wing. Um, and they were married for a really, really long time, and they had been married before they before either of them got a show, and then yeah. they were both on, like, iconic shows at the time. Yeah. And then, yeah, they, they got a divorce a few years ago. It was a really big deal, and, like, she, yeah. Are Sports Night and Fargo still married? Too. I don't I think so. know. Wait, Felicity Huffman and William H. Macy? Yeah! Because they're, they're kind so. of like another working couple where they're both... I think so. Plus, Huffman's not quite as famous. But as... then you like look at uh, Susan Sarandon and... Uh, and Tim Robbins. Yeah, they split up after being married God, for 20 right. years. Damn. They met each other, or they, they got to know each other really well when they were filming Bull Durham together. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. I still have not seen that, despite you quoting it all. Not all the time, but like enough that I feel emasculated. Because <laughs> you're like, here's this... Super sports movie that you don't know anything about, but I'm gonna quote it because I was raised by a baseball man. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, I like like you know you're all fancy and you know all your you know classical what? history, but then you can throw down with Bull Durham. It's quotes. a baseball movie that quotes Walt Whitman. Yeah. So <gasps> Walt Whitman. Spoilers for Breaking Bad. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Oh, oh, exciting nerd news! What's if that? you're a nerd like I'm a nerd. They they found a new picture of Emily Dickinson. Oh, you were talking about There's this. There's only ever been one picture of her known before where she's a, like a wee bitty teenager. She's not the one who put the her her head in the oven, right? No, dear. Emily Dickinson was this great American poet, not Sylvia Plath, what who lived Sylvia exclusively Plath? in the 20th century oh, yeah? and committed suicide with an oven. No, Emily Dickinson was uh, mostly a recluse. 
Who oh, you know, after her tweeting home about her, I, wicked, I Googled her. And yeah, I didn't realize, like, almost, almost like, she, like, what, only, like, four of her works were ever published in her life. Yeah, no, she, she died unknown, but then after her death, her uh, most of her work was, like, found in a chest in her house. And after that, she became, like, an icon of American poetry. Well, reading uh, the Wikipedia entry on her, I just realized, I know, I know who she is, like, the style of her writing. I just, like, the dashes, I, I don't yeah. know poetry that much, but, like, I recognize, like, her style, like, oh, that's Emily Dick. She's the one who yeah. writes like that. Because yeah. I could not stop for death, he kindly stop for me the carriage held but just ourselves and immortality damn she writes in ballad meter a lot of the time which is also the meter that a lot of hymns are written in and oh, she okay. she was raised in a very calvinist christian setting in on the uh, eastern seaboard so she's the rare poet who just died of natural causes yeah like well, threw herself off a bridge or anything like that, that if, if some of my Twitter followers, apparently one of them comes from Amherst and was talking about how Emily Dickinson is like that crazy cousin you have that yeah. only people in the family get to say is crazy. Uh, and that's kind of the same deal with Emily Dickinson. Uh, you meant, you said she was like, how'd you compare her? Like your kooky friend who comes over for sleepovers? Yeah, so I, I started out by saying that Emily Dickinson is one of those, this is going to sound super pretentious said out loud, but she's one of those poets whose work gets to be really cosmic and talking about, you know, mortality and the universe and God, but also feels really, like, personal and intimate. Like, she yeah. can talk about, like, oh, hello, little bee that I saw in the garden today. Yeah. Uh, so it feels both really big and really personal. Cosmic, infinite space, tiny little living space. Tiny little living space. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then I, I summed it up by saying it's like she's your magical but damaged best friend and you're both 13 and you're having a sleepover and you're under the covers together and she's whispering to you about you know life and death see that's amazing universe. that's a great thing get that out of somebody who's been dead for 100 years before you were born well yeah it's when, I, yeah. whenever i like go on the internet to look up emily dickinson poems or whatever and i run into all these scholarly essays on her and like prominent dickinson scholar or so and so has written the and i'm like oh other people know about her like, it's very strange, because I, you know, I I think of her as, like, living in this little cupboard uh, in in my consciousness, so yeah. the fact that they're, like, Dickens conferences and so forth just feels kind of, kind of weird. Do you think she's your favorite uh, poet? Uh, I don't have or a favorite poet. at least, I don't have a favorite you, never, poet, like, but... you don't rank them. No. But your, I, your I enjoy, poems from I enjoy a lot of her work, because she's a poet who, who deals a lot with death, and that's a subject I've always been interested in. Yeah, you're kind of a warm person. It's that's true. why we're friends. I feel like I'm actually the opposite of morbid. Why? Uh, I think I think real morbidity is... Uh, well, you're not preoccupied by being in the ground. No, I'm not, like, freaked out by it. I just, yeah. I, I find it interesting, because I think that death is obviously a big part of life, and that in our culture, we've kind of shoved death aside or try to not notice it like we don't ever see bodies or corpses like we don't hold oh, yeah. open casket funerals or wakes like we say passed away instead of died we don't you know when somebody says well when i die we're always like oh ho ho don't talk about that you're not gonna die yeah. so there's there's like this sanitization and this pushing death into a closet and uh when emily dickinson lived you know she had a religious upbringing that She's was very like 19th much, century yeah, this is her inter interregnum period there. Like hundred years was, ago, at least, yeah. But yeah, she she was raised in a way where you talk about death a lot and about what happens to you after death and, yeah. you know, what it's like in the next world and whether there really is a next world. So she has, she grapples with it all the time. Uh, and it's really, it's interesting to see her try to suss it out for herself. So what was this photograph they found of? So they found uh, a, a photograph has has come to light in Amherst and it is of two women 
Um, I think it was taken in the 1860s, maybe? Oh, so she's like a Louisa May Alcott, like, kind of... Yeah. That, that era, that's, okay, that's yeah. That's sort of But, um, she, it's of her... She's and, from New England, is that what it is? Yeah, in oh, okay, Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, and it is a... On the right, there's a woman dressed in mourning who looks very serious. And, and then on the left, there is a young woman sort of wrapping her arm around the person in mourning yeah. and has a little smile on her face and is wearing what would be sort of old-fashioned clothes for the time. And they, so they took the face of the woman on the left and they subjected it to um, facial analysis oh. against the one photo that is confirmed to be of Emily Dickinson from her family. Yeah. And so they, there's not a lot of photos because she was not a known author in yeah, her well, lifetime. Yeah, well, because she was a recluse. Like, she didn't leave her oh, house. Oh, shit, that's interesting. Yeah. So but they're sitting there doing all these things, like, with super scientific terms for, like, proportions okay, and their relation and, like, how her eyelids hit and, like, where her facial lines are aligned. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, photography from the era is not very crisp. Might have a warped, like, camera plane lens or something like that. Yeah, yeah and also, yeah. you know, when you have a photo from somebody uh, when they're, like, 13, yeah. people can look very different. So you can, like, if you look at it, you can pinpoint features that seem the same, but you might not be able to, you're not, you can't conclusively say, like, yes, same person. Yeah. But they've done enough analysis of it that everybody who's looked at it is like, no, pretty sure this is Emily Dickinson. That's pretty bad. So it's really fascinating because she's a much more, she's like a, a I mean, she's still young, but she's clearly an adult, and her face is a little rounder, and it's got a little more animation. So the the original teenage photo of her is very like, she she looks like somebody you would see in a ghost story. Like yeah. she would be the the beautiful moonlit fairy creature like wifting through the halls. Huh. So it's interesting to see this slightly more earthly looking photo. Of Especially her. For, uh, for to find a new photograph of somebody like that who you feel such a close personal connection to. Yeah, it's neat. It's kind of like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very neat. It's a super rare thing. It's like there's only one portrait of Shakespeare that was believed to have been... Oh, the kind of younger like this one? done from his lifetime. Yeah, where he's got the earring and all that shit. Yeah. Which people think the earring was painted in later or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, exactly. At yeah. any rate, it's yeah. really exciting. It was a nice excuse to go back and read There, I think, was it, is, like, in whatever... Where, wherever it is that he's buried, I think there's a bust of him that was actually, people think it was actually commissioned by him. But it's not a painting, it's a bust. And yeah. that's that's the stereotypical bust where he's a bald guy with a little pointy devil beard yeah. and the rough. He looks like a cartoon of well, Shakespeare. It's interesting the people we have exact likenesses for and those we don't, you know. There's some yeah. people where there, a death mask was done and that was a big thing at certain points in Western history was doing a plaster cast of somebody's face right after they died. The death mask of Lincoln's really creepy. Oh, like, yeah. yeah, they did that. Yeah, well, you, know, you still had like, his face is kind of fucked up from being shot in the back of the head and his face, you know, kind of shuffled around his facial features a little bit and, you know. Yeah. Man! This is why we're friends. It's like it's like morbid shit from like a hundred years ago. This is why we're friends. But no, everybody freaks God. out about Victorian um, dead child photographs. Yeah. Where there's a photograph but what of are you gonna... a... But it's like, well, but you you live in the Victorian era. Photographs are expensive and rare. Kids can't sit still. Yeah. You've only had your kid for three years. You're not going to subject them to a photo shoot. But if your child dies, you like this is your last chance to have an image of them that you can ever see again. Yeah. So for Jesus, yeah, I would a take thing. a photo of the corpse too, you know? Like, this is going to be it. This is the last piece of evidence. This child was here. And the modern day cool of that is kids being buried in little uh, insane clown posse coffins. What? That's a thing. Oh, no. There have been ins insane clown posse themed ch child burials where kids have been buried in like insane clown posse themed <laughs> caskets. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, so. Wow. So that's actually, that's legitimately neglectful. 
Fascinating. And uh, one last thing. I keep saying fascinating like I'm a goddamn Vulcan. You got, yeah, too much Star Trek up your butt. Fascinating. (laughs) Intriguing. (laughs) God. Oh, there is a great, uh, one last thing to uh, talk about video games. There is a, oh God, what the hell it is. There's a PC game that came out uh, within the last year. It's a homebrew game where you and a whole bunch of other people can network your laptops together, and like each person pretends to man a different station on a Starship bridge. Oh, that's cool. What a cool LAN party idea. And, uh, yeah, there's some party somewhere where the person that got to pretend to be the captain was Tim Russ from Voyager. Aw, Tim He's just, like, in his street clothes. Just, you know, he's not gonna show up in costume. But, like, he's in the middle of this, like, really crappy darkened room in this crappy YouTube video, just, like, giving the orders, like, okay, uh... Fire all missiles. And, but, you know, it's Tim Russ, who's, like, you know, he's kind of goofy and silly because he's, 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 he's a wacky guy. He's being a good guy. sport, yeah. And, yeah, you, you got, like, you know, some, good, like, guy on the laptop is like, yes, sir, firing missiles in here. Tapping out. Yeah, it's just like, oh, yeah. that's fun. I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, but, like, yeah, one last bit of news for the week. Daniel Craig has been signed on for two more James Bond movies after Skyfall. Oh, yeah, I hear that Skyfall's finally going through after all of the rights and well, studio Well, that's coming out this fall. Yeah? Yeah, it's coming out, like, two months But I know, it was, that's part of why it was held up for two years. Man! Was studio oh, exactly, yeah, yeah. rights issues. Um, did you see, like, the trailer for it or anything? Nope. It looks kind of stereotypical James Bond movie, because where it's gone back to, like, different girl each movie, different exotic location. It doesn't, like... Well, it's... It's James Bond. I kind of I mean, like James Bond Casino, before. Casino Royale was basically, hey, the Bourne movies happen. Yeah. We should do some of that. But the nice thing about the Casino Royale was that that was before James Bond is womanized. Well, it's the birth of James Bond as a womanizer because right. well, it yeah, ends with him, the bitch is dead. you can only do that for one movie. I know, I know. So there's, I can't really blame the series. And I, I think this one is actually directed, is it the same guy who did like American Beauty? The, the, the director's actually got some credentials. I forget which guy it is. Yeah. But, yeah, Sam Mendes, I think. And so, you know, it's going to look pretty, but, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I think he's he's screwing some, like, hot Asian chick in this one. You know, because I'm racist, that just drives me up a wall of miscegenation. Oh, my God. But, no, it's it's just, like, it feels like there's already, you can see kind of see the stereotypical James Bond formula creeping in. And I like the more, like, stripped-down personal nature of uh, You know, uh, Bill will always have Casino Royale. I know! I need to go back to him and you see his butt cheeks. Herself. Well, also, I like the chickie in the first one, too. She was great. Eva Green. I mean, yeah, I'm a huge Eva Green fan. Yeah, I am, too. Yeah. Supposedly, she's been naked in a lot of movies got, that I haven't seen she yet. She got giant eyeballs. She does. She totally looks like a lost, wandering soul. I have no idea what Emily Lee Dickinson looks like. I would have her play Emily Dickinson. <laughs> you guys can make out. They'll be best thing ever. No. 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 Just tell each other stories under the sheets. No. No. <laughs> you are kind of like, eh. Shush. No, don't talk about it. We're just friends. <laughs> We're just friends from across the time, across the centuries and time and blah, blah, blah. The chasms of time and space. Yes. Uh, Emily Dickinson would make a terrible companion for Doctor Who. She would. So, like, well, she'd never uh, leave the TARDIS. She's like, I'm writing. Can I just have my own room to write? Just make sure you burn our personal records before, after I die. I'm not, but if you want to publish all my stories, that's cool. I saw that. Like, she had her sister burn all of her letters, her correspondence with people. A lot of them. I mean, some of them do that? Just, we do have a bunch she of her correspondence. And there, there's a lot of, there, there are a lot of um, arguments about some of her letters to people and whether they can be considered prose poems. I could do that. If she's a writer, I mean, it's going to leak into her, like, actual prose. Yeah, but she she's just has a fine turn of phrase. And she, that the the heavy emphasis on dashes also carries over oh, into, really? her, into her correspondence. Uh, you write poetry, too. I'm always freaked out in all the emails you send to people where you're trying to rhyme for no reason. Oh, she's shut like, up. Come on, Dylan. We got it. You wrote some poetry. We got it. 
I I was telling I just fucking with I you. was telling Katie this morning that I wrote what I think is my finest piece of verse ever this oh, summer. Oh no, what you do? Uh, it is a tribute to Shakespeare. Yeah. It is a, a couplet. Um, you might recognize it from Shakespeare's work. Okay. It came to me as I was falling asleep one night, and I wrote it down so that I could put it on Twitter the next day. Okay. Shall I compare thee to a summer's bug? Thou art more lovely and more vertebrate. That's as far as I got. Fantastic. I know, it's brilliant. Shall I compare thee to a summer's bug? Thou art more lovely and more vertebrate. Anything, yeah. (laughs) I was just bizarrely pleased by that. Twitter liked it. That should be the ending of the next uh, bug sequel. Yeah. Shall I compare thee to a summer's bug? Yeah. Yeah. I was originally trying to come up with, shall I compare thee to a summer's dog? But I haven't come up with anything nearly as good. It doesn't rhyme. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and with that said, this is the end of this week's Boy Howdy Podcast. Uh, This has been Bill Mundrin and our special guest host this week, Dylan McConus. Where can people find you? DylanMcConus.com. Anywhere else? Well, Dylan, what, your quirky bird on Twitter? Yeah, just go to DylanMcConus.com. Yeah, you can find her all over the place. The central nerve. Look for the chick who looks like Winona Ryder. She'll be there doing stuff. (laughs) Yeah, you're updating Family Man again, though. As of this week, as of today. My comic is back. Like an hour before we started the podcast, Family Man came back. What's going on Family Man right now? Uh, stuff. You should read it and find out. Yeah. Okay. Don't look behind me. Look at the scared. Okay, we're gonna go before I get stabbed in the butt. Okay, I'll see you guys next week. And at last, he blew the house in. That's it. That's all. Van damn. What happened? What happened to the pimps? What happened to the guns? What happened to the curse words? That's what rap music is all about, right? Yeah, man. Right. right. That little bastard Jeff. He found the right place. Garbage. Day La Soul is dead. Alright, let's be out. Let's get the fuck out of here. Crocker. Crocker. Let's go play Hammer.